my my favorite quote of all time i think which i'm constantly repeating to people is actually is not from some kind of like hand-waving woo-woo artist it's from a dead economist called george box and it is that all models are wrong and some are useful which is just saying you know however we try to understand things we're always going to make a a poor quality picture of that system you know like whatever it is, how a vehicle works, a machine works, how a kidney works, you're going to break it up into like functional block diagram and have equations that roughly describe how bits of it work under a certain subset of conditions. It's going to be, it's not going to be the real thing, right? If you want to know how the real thing works, you need the actual real thing. Because if you make a model that is good enough to describe everything about the real thing, what you actually have is the thing itself, right? So all of these models of understanding that we use as, as mental shortcuts, just so we can think about things efficiently, sometimes they're useful, but we must remember that they're wrong. They're just stories, right? And they have really quite limited bounds often as to when, when they're useful and when they're not. And it's easy to kind of use these models to make sense of things. And then at some point you can step over the, the line from useful to not useful and not notice it because you've kind of conflated the, the model with the underlying thing in your head. Um, have you, if you heard that phrase, like, um, don't confuse the map for the territory, it's kind of a similar idea to that, I think. Welcome to the Rational Mystic Podcast. I'm your host, James Webb. And today, I'm more than happy to share with you my recent interview with David Harker. David is a professional remote viewer. He is a man with deep knowledge in a number of different esoteric topics. And he's also one of the moderators for one of the internet's largest remote viewing communities. And in addition to those qualifications, David has a master's degree in archeology, span a master's degree in information technology, and years of professional experience as a software architect and software developer. And in this set of conversation, David dives deep with us into some topics like metaphysics, and the tendency for humans to create knowledge systems around numinous experiences, how that can be good, and also some challenges that can emerge with that. He shares some ideas about the historical lineage that could have informed remote viewing and uh, confined or constrained it in some ways based on its inheritance from other systems. And he also talks about his own personal reflections on dealing with sort of the epistemic shock that can emerge from uh, dealing with precognition and numinous experiences at the edge often of the human experiential uh, bandwidth. So I really enjoyed these conversations. David is someone I met two years ago and was so open and willing to talk to a stranger about uh, precognition and some of the experiences that can come up when you're dealing with that. And I think that spirit that he always comes forward with of helping others and sharing knowledge is really captured in this interview very well. So I hope you all really enjoy this conversation with David as much as I did speaking to him. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking some time to hang out. Um, you, uh, 
you and I have met through uh, some of the remote viewing communities and the Discord community there, and just have to say, I've always enjoyed uh, your wisdom and conversation. So I appreciate you uh, spending some time to come on and talk about remote viewing and woo and a lot of other uh, really fun topics. So yeah, thanks. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There's certainly a lot of weird stuff to discuss. <laughs> Um, so in that same topic of the plethora of weird, uh, <laughs> as, if, if anyone's ever watched any, uh, episode of this uh, podcast, but I, I'm always fascinated by how people even found themselves, uh, involved with any of this. And I know from a little bit of our conversation, looking at your bio, um, you know, your education, I think has been in archeology. span You have, um, a master's degree as well. I can't tell if that's in archeology span or in it, but some advanced degrees and Send I think you're working both <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, impressive uh, and also that you you've worked for some time as a software engineer so you have a very technical uh, background that you're coming from so I'm just curious like how did you come from like software engineer to like uh, remote viewer professional remote viewer I would I would say a cultist I don't know if you would agree with that term but someone who's very knowledgeable and studies uh, some of these less than common topics yeah, well, I mean, the occult is just the the hidden or the subjective, right? So I don't think I could deny that one. Uh, so yeah, how did I get here? Because, you know, f five, six years ago, I was like a staunch materialist, you know, I, I didn't exactly think this stuff rationally was dumb or wrong or something. I was just like, well, that sounds impossible. And I know it's easy for people to, to delude themselves. Therefore, that's probably what's going on. But I didn't even, I didn't even look at it. It was just completely not part of my world. Um, then I had like, I, don't, I, I, I can't put it into words what it was because I don't know. It was like a very subjective, really weird experience where I had some kind of like spiritual non-dual awakening thing that took like one second. But I was laying in bed one night and I had like, three totally mundane questions about like where to invest my money and understanding geopolitics and you know like just boring stuff that you think about when you're trying to sleep um and then you don't get to sleep and i kind of i came to the realization that all my models of the world were like wrong that i couldn't make any <laughs> testable prediction i just didn't all the stuff that i thought i understood i didn't understand and there was this kind of moment where I just completely surrendered, if you like, or I just accepted. I, I don't have a fucking clue what's going on. I, I've made a major omission in what I've studied. I've missed something. Like I knew I missed something, but not what it was. I was just like, I, this is junk. I got to throw this out and start again. Um, I think in that moment of surrender, so I don't know if you can do like Zen koans, you know, those crazy making puzzles that don't make any sense that they're supposed to drive your intellect into submission because it tries and tries and tries and tries to solve it and it just can't and eventually it's just like i quit you know and then you get awareness beyond that isn't filtered by the and i think that may be accidentally what i did you know or not what i did but what happened but yeah something it was like a switch flipped in my head um nothing really happened. I didn't have like trumpets, choirs from heaven or flashing lights or anything. Just something about my perception was different. I mean, everything kind of looked the same as well. So this sounds really dumb to say everything changed, but I couldn't really tell anything that had changed looking around me. But I knew that I couldn't ignore this for whatever reason. I knew I was going to have to address this. 
and there was no like there's no going back some cat was out of a bag and it wasn't going back in but that was um that was like 11 30 at night on christmas eve and i had like dinner for eight people to cook the next day so i was like we're gonna have to just put this on the back burner for a little it's while. It's really inconvenient time. Go and for, be normal. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and I'm there like, yeah, don't burn the turkey. Um, so, yeah, then so, then I'm in this position of just like, I know I've missed something. I've missed a huge trick, but I have no idea what it is. So I'm going to systematically go through every kind of weird corner of the internet, every conspiracy theory and weird thing, and I'm just going to look for something I can test like objectively. I don't have to pay $600 for a seminar or buy a magic brainwave helmet or go on a retreat or like now you make a, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I was just like, there must be something I can test in my own direct personal experience, which will, and, and I don't know why I decided that. I don't know how I knew that, you know, maybe that was intuition or something else guiding that thought process there. So YouTube kept recommending me like uh, Russell Tug's banned TED talk that wasn't really banned. And um, I was like, no, nah, that sounds boring. And eventually I'd run out of weird conspiracy theory videos to watch. And I was like, well, go on, I'll give it a go. And I'm like, the fuck? Really? That sounds impossible. I don't believe that. So I just Googled like remote viewing targets. And I was like, right, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to be empirical about this. I'm going to be radically empirical and put aside the fact that I think this is dumb because I know I don't understand anything. I know I'm wrong. So I need to do experiments to find where I'm going to go next. So I'm like, fine, let's, let's just try it. So I got, got myself a target, a blind target off uh, Daz Smith's website, it turned out. And I got a post-it note and I was like, okay, let's do this. Wrote the number down, scribbled a few lines. And I was like, there. And I and I was feeling pleased with myself already because I'm like, look, there's there's no way this is going to match the target because this is dumb and I'm so clever for knowing it's dumb. And then I opened it up and I'd like drawn it. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and then... <laughs> it's like the movie where like, all the walls like zoom out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the dolly zoom. Um, Just strange it's out of his body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a bit like that. Um but I was still convincing myself, you know, like, well, that's just chance. That's, uh, you know, I couldn't really believe it. But at the same time, I became kind of obsessed with it because I was like, I have to prove to myself that this is either real or not real. And I think I did like 50 targets before I was really like, this is real. You know, it took that wow. long for the materialist wow, productionist really in me you to really... die. Yeah. That's no small thing. Like you really resisted it then. Like you were, yeah, yeah. you were looking it, for any possible door you could go through that, that that wasn't true. Sounds like. Yeah. But I was still, you know, I was like, well, it keeps looking true. I'm going to keep doing it and hope that it stops looking true. And it didn't, you know, and then eventually you just like, this is real, isn't it? Um, which is a weird situation to be in, right? Because I was doing something and like the evidence of my senses was I am definitely doing this and there's no way I'm getting this data by chance, but I believe it to be impossible. I'm literally doing something impossible, you know, um, which um, broke. But I, I suppose the reason I resisted it so much with hindsight is because it broke my worldview. Um, like I only thought about this years later, but worldview kind of underpins the formation of ego right so if if you imagine your mother was pregnant with you right and then i don't know you make like a copy 
and then one of those babies like completely the same biological setup like exactly the same baby and you teleport it and swap it with another baby in a different country like totally different cultural background totally different environmental stuff right you're going to grow up totally different you're going to see the world very differently even though it's the same raw materials and like obviously a lot of a lot is baked in but if you if one copy of you gets dumped in a isolated tribal society in the jungle somewhere your worldview and the symbols that you use and the way you understand how nature works is just going to be like wildly different right and then ego uh or the sense of self is constructed on top of that right because it's a reaction to what you see around you right it's how you interact with other people it's how you see yourself you know, if you're, if you're in the jungle and you're like, oh, we've got the tree spirits and those tiger things that eat you and the tasty spiders and the poisonous spiders and the, the other people in my tribe and the, the leader of the tribe and the other tribe over there who we kind of don't like and the fish, in the, you know, you've got all this stuff and you relate to all of that stuff yourself, right? So the self is built on top of the worldview. So if you break the worldview... Like if you take one card out of the bottom of the house of cards, so the whole fucking thing collapses, you destroy the sense of self, right? Which is a, you know, ego, its job is survival. It wants to live forever. It doesn't want to get wrinkles. You know, it, it's everything has to stay the same. Ego's job is like self-preservation and just keeping everything rigid and the same forever, which obviously it can't do, which is, you know, why we find change stressful, I guess, or one of the reasons. Um, but yeah, I discovered if you destroy worldview, it causes ego collapse, which is in the spiritual tradition is like, is, I mean, it's not ego death. It's not like what people have if they take a load of acid. Um, but in the, the spiritual traditions, it's known as the dark night of the soul, which I previously thought was just something that happened to poets and artists, but it turns out it's actually a pretty normal part of the spiritual path that I hit by accident without knowing what it was. And I spent like two years with my identity collapsing and like came completely on, like I lost my moral compass. I lost everything about me, like everything lost meaning. It was really like psychologically fucked up. It was not nice. And then like halfway through that pro process, I was talking to someone and he was like, oh, you should read this book called Mastering the Core Teachings of the Buddha by Daniel Ingram. Cause he's just, he describes in that book, like exactly what you just described to me. And I read it and I'm like, He's right. This is exactly what I'm going through. What the hell is all this? Um, yeah, I, I love it. It's a great book. So nerdy. <laughs> and then, so, yeah, I read that. And then it's like, yeah, well, at this stage, you can kind of do some exercise, but it's going to suck. And then you go on the next stage. And it's like, uh, do some meditation. I mean, it's going to suck in a different way. But like, the, you just have to wait it out. Like, the only way you can accelerate that process is to accept it and to allow all that stuff to die and like all this trauma bubbles up to the surface like it's like you kind of pull the plug out and all of this crap that was in your sense of self is just like and off it comes and you're just there like going through all this emotional torment for no reason anyway it sucked really hard it was really unpleasant um and then here i am on the other side of it like the kind well, of I, I know your new sense of self i guess because it's kind of missing a bunch of stuff that was like just my my programming, my reaction to how I saw my surroundings, right? Then new worldview, all change. I mean, I'm still like the same guy. I still like puppies and pancakes and stuff. But um, yeah, it was well, quite a that? transformative mine's, mine's, process. Mine's the core is still solid, but puppies yeah, and pancakes. Yeah, the important bits. <laughs> so 
you you laugh about things. You always have a wonderful sense of humor, by the way, for folks who have a chance to to meet you and talk with you. You are really truly a, a just bring a lot of a lot of mirth to some some topics. But I know you're, you're talking about something that we talk about it and you kind of laugh about it, or well, you really that that total collapse that you're describing. I mean, it, that's you're talking about something like trying to find the bottom of of, of the void. And, and if I'm tracking you correctly, you're sounds like you're really talking about ego in this contextualization of the entire environment it's in it had those associations to it for you so it sounds like you, you laid down to go to bed that one night whatever culmination that had been working on you before that that, that chain reaction plus rv you know we're really selling remote viewing by the way to tell people this this story <laughs> well <laughs> i don't know that it was rv that did it because i was i was trying like every crazy spiritual practice i could find in all these different meditations and i was having weird stuff happen like i had like this um I wish I could reproduce it because it'd be great. I had this like psychic spine straightening, I think they call it, where my neck was just like, and it totally, I was like sitting down and meditating and it was like somebody grabbed my head and just pulled up and my spine was just like, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. You know, it's never, it happened twice in a week, never before or since. But I've since discovered it's like there's some yogis who do a special thing and then that just happens. But yeah, then I, I was doing so many different, and I wasn't really keeping a proper diary about what I was doing either. I was just diving into all different stuff to try and find something that didn't seem like total bullshit and achieved something. And listening to loads of binaural beats all day. And like, I was just, I was doing everything. Like I was on a real kind of spiritual high after the initial awakening event. And then out of all the things I did, or maybe the combination of all the things I did is what did for me. But as I say, it's it's like a recognized part of the the spiritual path it happens to lots of people not just poets and artists it um, happens to geeks as well it turns out so yeah here we so, are so there's a not immune to <laughs> yeah yeah um so there we go so you you had had these experiences you had uh you gone on the internet and found all kinds of interesting things and it sounds like you were experimenting broadly, not just remote viewing, but having a lot of other experiences as well. At that time period, were you really connected to any kind of like groups or other people who were doing this? Or, you know, um, oh, no, a lot no, of times no. I think people fall into this. You have a real challenge with your family and your friends. It's such there can be such a transformative experience that people can feel that in you. Like they, they see those changes in you and sometimes can be a real challenge. Was that how, how did you navigate that time period, if you don't mind me asking? Um, not very well. Uh, yeah, because, you know, I, I couldn't really cope with myself, so I couldn't really, I just couldn't deal with stuff outside of myself. So, yeah, um, obviously, like my loved ones around me, you know, noticed that something was up with me, um, but I couldn't really explain what because I didn't know and I didn't understand. I didn't know the language. Um, so, yeah, it sucked for everybody. It was just really hard. And then, you know, as I kind of got a handle on it and learned what was happening and got less freaked out and kind of like on some level, I knew it would be over eventually all the way through. Like it felt like a process, but I was just completely lost for the first year, 18 months or something like it was a really long time. Wow. Um, wow. And yeah, I think it took two and a half years or something. And then something like that. I lost track. Mm. But, you know, I was doing things where I was just having like this terrible kind of upwelling of sort of repressed trauma or emotion, just, just the kind of normal junk. I'm not like an abnormally traumatized person, just like everybody's 
subconscious mind is just full of this crap. Like that's the normal state that we get in as human beings who grew up in the West, right? It's not, um, I didn't have it particularly hard or anything, but it just all kind of is coming up at once. And you're like, so upset by it. And I was doing things like, right, I'm going to go walk in the woods and I'm not coming back until this stops. Right. <laughs> so whatever is going on here, whoever's pulling the strings, I'm just going to fucking walk until this fixed. Right. Which actually worked really well, but cosmic, yeah. cosmic ultimatums. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't know what to do, you know, and it's always good to go for a walk in nature anyway. Right. How, how long ago were these experiences that time period for you how 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 far uh, in the rearview mirror for you i guess that's like three and a half four years like i think we're yeah i mean this is like i've been out of it for about 16 months or something i would say since the worst of it was over and then last year was kind of like oh i'm back thank fuck for that you know um and um, yeah, it's sort of been uphill since then, which is great. Did you find yourself so you are always in my conversations, you, you have a certain degree of humility that I respect, but I think you all often, you know, downplay a lot of things. And I know in my conversations, um, you, you've read quite a bit in, in, in my humble estimation. So, um, talking about some of the texts that you read, did that kind of lead you on this, this path of, of research across a lot of the broad esoteric traditions is that how you found yourself i know if you got on youtube there's such a plethora of materials that yeah where, where were you finding yourself like focusing some of your attention after i mean I, i've read broadly rather than deeply um like i haven't really deep dived into many things because i've been sort of looking for or i've kind of given up now but i was looking for a worldview that made sense because so much of this stuff you look at it and it's it makes all these assumptions like oh your spirit guides from the pleiades are going to give you downloads and that and it's like it's building these models that i like i've never seen any of this stuff for myself i'm not convinced i want to create this sort of symbolic reference system inside my own head in order to access whatever this actually is i, I and this is one of the reasons remote viewing is such an interesting thing because i think it helps us um develop the skills to get closer to what actually is this because if you look at the, just to sidetrack randomly onto remote viewing methodologies, I guess, but if you look at the different methodologies, right, it, they're basically just big ass lists of questions. What color is it? What does it smell like? What does it look like? Is it moving? Is it big? Is it small? How does it feel to you? Do you like it? Do the people there like it? Blah, 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 blah. It's just like a big list of questions, right? And you get different methodologies, ask different questions and they get different answers because they ask for different stuff. Some of them, you know, get you to merge your consciousness with a building just to see what it's like. You know, some of them draw lots of pictures, some of them write lots of words and you get different output depending on what questions you ask. So even th I think that's a good example of having this kind of framework that we, we, we can take for granted, right? We can find, we can just forget that that's actually a filter over our data and it's not, Oh, I have this incredible tool, which allows me to get everything I want. It's like, I'm just asking questions and getting answers. I'm, I might be using skills I've developed, um, or like muscles in the mind that I've kind of practiced and worked out to do this. But I think that the same thing is there for, especially I'm very skeptical of the new age movement. I'm like super skeptical of that. 
um, because a lot of people make a lot of claims. Everybody's channeling somebody or other, and they're all saying airy fairy piece of love stuff, which kind of is contradictory, but it's really feel good when you read it. Uh, I think it's really easy to kind of get sucked into a toxic positivity or a sort of self-delusional trap to kind of create a conceptual bubble around yourself rather than just letting things kind of be as they are and experiencing it as it is. You're kind of filling your imaginal space, your subconscious space, your symbolic overlay of everything with people from the Pleiades and flying saucers and spirit guides and the underworld and the overworld and the people who live up the tree and the people who live under the tree. And it's like, these, these are useful tools, right? You know, do it. But... I'm not dissing them. I'm not dissing them, you know, but it's, I, I'm sorry I'm if I'm offending anybody's like deeply held beliefs <laughs> well, there, but hey, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm dissing anybody, though. any one of these concepts is just, I'm pointing out the, the fact that you know you put yourself in a box with any of these things so i was kind of interested so, in getting out of the box i'm fascinated by your perspective on that for a few reasons because um i didn't mention at the onset but like as you and i were talking before we started recording like you you're uh, one of the moderators on um a discord group for remote viewing it's a really big group there's a lot of people there and it seems like uh you have this influx of people periodically like, like the wave comes and all these people show up you know um, yeah. But more often than not, you talked about that experience that you went through, like where all the walls got blown away, the the, the floor went away, like you're just trying to figure out where you were. And um, if you don't mind me sharing, like when this happened to me with remote viewing and I, I came in, like the several people on that group, yourself included, you guys are almost like a little bit of like counselors, you know, honestly, like whether you're trained in it or not, you, you actually I, I, have the experience. Now, now you to, mention to... it, I remember. <laughs> but I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> well i mean it happens a lot it happens a lot though you know but yeah i remember we had like a super long conversation about all this crazy stuff <laughs> uh, it seems like most of us when we first get into this like the first thing that's really funny is like i'm gonna solve this i'm gonna solve this in like the first week you know i'm into it yeah. said, i'm gonna figure it out no one else has done it before but the other one is i think like naturally we start going like how does this even work like we don't have a theory of side that, that really is we can uh, come at yet and I think oftentimes just, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of times when I hear, you know, they talk about the, the Buddha with metaphysics that talked, you know, all these big questions for the Buddha and the Buddha was silent about a lot of things, you know, he wouldn't get into these big metaphysical discussions. And whenever I, whenever I have interacted with you in the past and we talked about like, how does this stuff work? I kind of get this feeling from you, like that, that those kind of endeavors to that, have that metaphysical framework. Not that they're a waste of time, maybe there's some necessity to it, but does it really have the utility to us that we think it does? Is that how do you approach that, David? When you look I mean, at that, that my, desire to build my favorite quote of all time, I think, which I'm constantly repeating to people, is actually is not from some kind of like hand waving woo woo artist. It's from a dead economist called George Box, and it is that all models are wrong and some are useful, which is just saying you know however we try to understand things, we're always going to make a a poor quality picture of that system, you know, like whatever it is, how a vehicle works, a machine works, how a kidney works, you're going to break it up into like functional block diagram and have equations that roughly describe how bits of it work under a certain subset of conditions. It's going to be, it's not going to be the real thing, right? If you want to know how the real thing works, you need the actual real thing, because if you make a model that is good enough to describe everything about the real thing, what you actually have is the thing itself. 
right? So all of these models of understanding that we use as, as mental shortcuts, just so we can think about things efficiently, sometimes they're useful, but we must remember that they're wrong. They're just stories, right? And they have really quite limited bounds often as to when when they're useful and when they're not. And it's easy to kind of use these models to make sense of things. And then at some point you can step over the the line from useful to not useful and not notice it because you've kind of conflated the the model with the underlying thing in your head. Um, have you, if you heard that phrase like, um, don't confuse the map for the territory, it's kind of a similar idea to that, I think. And do you think that there's a some dangerous roads when it comes to like, not, not all metaphysical systems are exactly the same. Like what's interesting to me is like, if you ask some questions and you articulate them, um, in certain ways, you get answers back. So if you, if you ask to talk to, uh, if you have some idea about something that may exist, uh, you know, if you, uh, I guess an example of this would be, if you write a remote viewing task for someone to, to talk to a fictional character, you're going to get information back that comes from the, the subconscious. So it's interesting to me, like, are, are some of the presumptions possibly deleterious? You know, uh, can it lead to a road that, that may not be healthy for the individual? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> where do you even start with that one? <laughs> because I can think of many examples. Um, but I don't want to name anybody, of course. Yeah, totally. I mean, you should not take remote viewing data as fact under almost any circumstances. When you have a whole ton of corroborating data and there's one little unknown in there and the remote viewing data describes loads of stuff that you know for a fact through other means and then fills in that one blank in a way which makes perfect sense, then it would be reasonable to test whether that is correct. You know, like remote viewing will tell you where to point the spy satellites and test whether the remote viewers are correct and save some time, right? But the the issue you just raised there, you can task fictional targets. Um, for people who are not remote viewers, the process of tasking is like you write down a question on a sheet of paper, the viewer will move to such and such a place, whatever event, date, time, yada, yada, and describe this that I want to know. Um, and then you, you don't give that to the remote viewer, you write a random number on it, and you give them the number. And um, this all works by magic, right? It, it works, or you, it works by intent if you prefer that word, right? But you don't do anything when you write the tasking. You just write your question down. You're not there like meditating, or you don't write it in blood just with a quill pen or something. It, you just, I just type it in and like save as a PDF, and use a random number generator to make the numbers. It's, it's completely just. It's not. It doesn't feel like a magical act or some kind of psychic thing that you're doing. You're just like making a PDF barely even think about it. So I think we should stop and think, how does that work, right? How does the remote viewer then come and describe what's in my PDF? Because they do, right? We, we can prove time and time again that they do. But is you know, I don't think they're going to go on my computer hard disk and open up the file and read it and then go on like psychic Wikipedia and look at, you know, it's got to be my intent, right? Because you can task remote viewing targets without writing it down. You can task remote viewing targets without ever speaking it out loud. The tasking can exist entirely in your head and you can tell a viewer there's a target and they can tell you what it is, right? So we know that we need the head. We don't need the paper. We don't need the writing down. You don't even really need the words. It's a good idea to have the words because writing it out helps you be really clear about what you want. 
Because if you have a vague idea, oh, I kind of want to know about those aliens, right? You're going to find out about those aliens and actually you're not going to be any wiser for it. You're not going to know anything. You're just going to get a bunch of pages with like, oh, this feels really weird. I saw this thing that looks like something out of a Hollywood movie. And you're just going to get a ton of that and be like, look, I told you. <laughs> but what have you really proven? You know, so you have to be super duper careful with tasking in what question you ask. But then there's this like unknown bit that you have to be, or you, we would hope that we could be super careful about what our intent is. What's our, what are our subconscious biases? Uh, what are our beliefs? Would we feel really terrible if the remote viewers gave us one answer as opposed to another? Like if you, um, if you really, really are not a fan of the idea of aliens in flying saucers, if you think something else is going on, um, you find the whole materialist approach to the UFO phenomenon a bit kind of like it's not going anywhere, then I agree with you. But if, if let's say for the sake of the argument that there was a case where we knew that there definitely was some kind of tin can with magic engines and aliens in it, and it was flying around that it was made of matter and it came from some, you know, if that really existed, but I really don't want to believe it exists because I just don't, I just don't, I'm not into that as a concept, right? And I tax, tasks some remote viewers. Are they going to tell me what I don't want to hear? Because they know when I see that, I'm going to go, uh, really, really? Are you sure you're not just reporting on the, all those videos on YouTube? Is this not what's in the collective unconscious? You know, just because I might have that bias myself and the bias is kind of going subconsciously psychically to the viewers and then when they give the stuff back to me the bias is going to come overtly back to them so there's all these like feedback loops some of which may never happen you know they don't even need to happen in order to affect the outcome because like once you get into thinking about these sorts of questions about how do we test where does the data come from right we have no idea it, are the viewers describing physical reality no idea if they're not describing physical reality, where the hell does that data come from? Again, no idea. And what is the correlation between that place that's an unknown place the data comes from and physical reality? Because it looks really similar, but sometimes it's different. And it seems to be full of everybody's thoughts and fears and fantasies and stories. And it seems to be full of noise and like weird, gross stuff that is just no good for anybody. It's, it's, it seems to me to be most similar to like Jung's idea of the collective unconscious or something. A problem in remote viewing is that we can't we can't disentangle the tasker from the viewer. Um, there are some experiments that will hopefully be done soon using machine learning, which might actually manage to do that finally, which will be like one of the most interesting things to happen in remote viewing for a really long time if that happens, I think. But if you if you think through it all and try to design these experiments, you you just get frustrated because there's always a hole, there's always a reason it just doesn't quite make sense, doesn't quite work. Um, and it seems to come down to me to, you can't know that remote viewing has taken place unless there has been a conscious observation of the feedback at some point, right? So we can't disentangle conscious awareness from the remote viewing process. And like, spoiler alert for literally nobody that's that's where i've kind of gone with my thinking is is the kind of like neutral monism consciousness matter secondary not primary thing because i think when you come at this from a materialist 
point of view i mean not not a like reductionist but if you're just like well we've got matter that's how the universe is and then like the subset of this physical universe is like this side thing that happens despite having no detectable energy no particles no rays or beams or waves or anything despite having absolutely no detectable mode of operation within physical matter i am still going to assume that this is somehow a physical universe phenomenon which leads people to kind of build conceptual castles to support that it, it's like doing intellectual backflips you know i think too um i mean maybe they're right but so intuitively that, i am uh, more to the the idea of consciousness comes first or at least before matter and you know it's it, we're going via that layer we're going out of the physical because like our consciousness is just part of the consciousness right so if we want information right. about anything I'm just going to stop paying attention to physical reality and go pay attention to whatever it is in the general field of consciousness that I want to know. How does that field of consciousness relate to the physical world? I don't know. And I wouldn't even want to speculate. And, and like, also, do we even know that it only relates one way? Like, have you got the many universes idea? Um, in all these quantum physics experiments, you have like, oh, Alice is in one hermetically sealed laboratory and Bob is in another, and there is no information flow in or out of either one. You know, if you actually could ever create that situation, would those two people be in subjectively like different universes? You know, what would it even mean anything to say they're in the same universe if there's just, if there's like no possible information flow between those spaces? So to bring that only slightly more down to earth that's kind of like the um the way it's quite difficult for two people to know that they've seen the same thing you know because we we all kind of have our, our blinkers on um you know like the way eyewitness testimony in court is junk because like memory human memory stinks and like every time you recall a memory you change it like you can implant false memories in people in like a couple hours. You just need to read like a couple of papers to learn how to do it. It's super easy. Um, memory sucks. Um, you don't even need magic <laughs> for that. That's just like psychology. Um, so people don't even remember. What I had that done in Everything. psychology at college and it was yeah. a very uncomfortable experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Therefore. <laughs> well, yeah. you shouldn't trust you, your uh, memory. You had, you had a, you had a lot of uh, really key points in there. I don't want to just roll past. Sorry, them. I just I just like went off on a huge no, train no, of thought. You're uh, so one thing I thought was just really important for folks. You know, I think that you know there's a lot of discussions about you and I both know as well as others that um, in terms of the ability with precognition, there there's a considerable amount of utility. I mean, regularly people are seeing future events. They're um, they're definitely. Um, things that can have a, a, a broad utility in the recognition of it. But I think one of the things that you point to that people that's often left out is and some discussions that I know you've been part of as well is, you know, is what role is telepathy playing? And also this generalized concept of the matrix, you know, that we kind of inherited from <laughs> controlled remote viewing. What is in that thing? And I think, as you mentioned, like there's all kinds of things in it, right? There's all kinds of intentions. There's all kinds of, it seems like that informationally when you're delving into that, that there, you know, what are you bringing back? And, so um, I think those are just really important points because to, to me, it seems like on the path ahead, if people do start to have a broader recognition of what we might call psi and putting quotation marks, you know, what can it do and what, what can it do? And I really loved how you pointed out too, like in where to point the spy satellites, you know, that 
has this real utility often as kind of this ancillary thing that stands alongside the, the things that we're doing in and what might be the, the physical world or might not be <laughs> to your point. <laughs> yeah. So um, those are, I, I really appreciate you sharing, sharing that. Um, so I'm curious too, like um, you, you touched on AI is really fascinating topic too. And we could probably go down a massive rabbit hole with just that whole thing. But I know from some of our discussions as well, you are someone who's really looked at the idea of lineage and history behind some of the systems that have come from remote viewing, you know, uh, all the way back from, the SRI days. And um, I'm curious to you have thoughts on that because I know you and I had had some conversations and we'll get into some really super side geek stuff that I don't know if other folks have <laughs> any interest in or be able to follow us. But um, Pat Price, who was in the, a famous remote viewer, uh, you know, um, I recently, I, I read a book and it uh, was talking about the account of Pat Price. And he had this uh, famous, he and Ingo had gone and looked at a military facility or NSA facility in Virginia. And it talks about Pat going into the filing cabinets and reading the folders, yeah. merging with individuals and knowing like their, their wife's name and like the name on their name tag. And so if this is in fact true, like, but the thing that struck me is there's no real indication that he studied any of these systems like controlled remote viewing. He was doing something very, very different. And I think you've kind of delved in a little bit to, to that well, history. Him you have some and thoughts Ingo, in your research? Him and Ingo were both really seeing things they were bilocating to the target to abuse that term. Um, what they were doing was more similar to extended remote viewing without the nap or a kind of partial out of body kind of thing. And um, what they both For had folks who are familiar, what, what is it? What is it? Could you explain extended remote viewing, David? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Extended remote viewing is done in a trance. So you do a cool down for like 25 minutes or something where you kind of just relax every muscle in your body a lot and then go through visualizations to kind of get yourself to the target and the the visuals can be really really accurate and high fidelity there i mean when you do that you very often see things well enough that you can just recognize them and name them you can go oh yeah that's one of these you know whereas if you're doing crv you're like 10 pages in and you're like oh it's spiky and it has round things and some of it is red and uh, blah blah and the rv you're like that's a fairground carriage ride in water there you go that's my page of data that's it you know so you don't you don't go through all the preliminaries because the the it's like um i'm not a big fan of this metaphor that we've got from crv of opening the aperture i mean hmm. i feel like maybe it's pointing at something useful but the idea that you have to do an ideogram and then tell me what color it is and that and before and if you don't do that your aperture isn't open and you can't get visuals or do any advanced stuff is not true you know and i've done it a lot where i've scribbled an ideogram not bothered to decode it and then jumped straight to stage six got the relevant data and then that's my session and it works just as well as in fact it may even work better than doing all the preliminaries because you're not tired bored and pissed off by the time you get to the end of it um so you certainly don't need to go through i think you know that's a bit of dogma that we could do away with but we got to remember the the military remote viewing well the civilian military remote viewing crossover project project thing that whole thing there's a lot of dogma and a lot of jargon and a lot of ideas which have come out that which to me increasingly seem to be more like people making up sciencey sounding stuff so that they don't freak people out by saying the word psychic and so they get their funding re renewed every year like the matrix 
the fuck is that? What is the matrix? Like, it's just made up, right? We don't know there's a matrix. We have no idea what's going on, right? It's just, it's a model. Is it a useful model? Yeah, sometimes. But it's not like, it's not like really there. We don't even know we're really here. I mean, hopefully we are. It seems like we are, right? But, you know, what's the nature of experience? Where Where is the matrix? Is it in the world? Is it outside of the world? Is the world inside it? It's, just, it's never clarified. It's just like, oh, it's in the matrix. Ingo said so. What are you talking about? You know? So we, we have a lot of this stuff that, I, I don't know, I don't put too much truck in. Like, it works as a training system and all that. But, uh, yeah, if you start talking about the matrix and the aperture and stuff. It, it is kind of interesting, though, if you look at that, I guess the idea of trying to create a system that Ingo and others would sell to have people develop some kind of consistent methodology. But on the, on the flip side of that, it's not clear that Ingo or any of those people were doing that, like the, the no, people no, who, you know, um, that those. And, and to your point, too, I mean, it always really struck me that our ideas of our limits become the limits. Right. So mm. the that dogmaticism or that idea about structure that we're handed, if we're not very careful with that, we may miss opportunities to refine the entire thing. You seem to really come at things with a spirit. I just have to say, like, you always seem to be trying to be very creative with remote, with remote viewing. I'll put it in quotation marks, but like the entire me using methodologies and all and how you approach them. So do you have some thoughts to share about it? Cause I think that's not, I think the way you come at things is not, I enjoy it because it seems to me like if you look at people who even tried to come up with these systems, these are the ways they were thinking. They were trying to discover, you know, the ideogram seems very innovative to me. Yeah. But are great. we still doing that? Are we still, and you, you seem like you, you have done a lot of experiments uh, in groups that you're in to really try to figure out like, what else can we do and how do we approach things? Yeah. I think it, it's more like, what can we not do? Right. What can we throw away? What rules can we break? What dogma is actually a lie? how much of this stuff do we want to keep because crv and all the crv derivatives like crv was invented to take soldiers who were relatively normal people and turn them into operational psychics in a repeatable low risk way right it wasn't there to make them the best psychics it's a training system and you know ingo i think was not the easiest person to work with um and possibly had lost lost patience or maybe you know i don't think he would have chosen to learn crv you know i i think the limitations of that project my hunch is the the scope of that project meant he couldn't really he couldn't really take things as far as he would have been able to if that had been like here's a blank check make me some psychics you know he could have done something much more impressive but it wasn't that it was inside all of these rules and limits and funding and committees and reports and, you know, which you've got to do. It's understandable why that stuff's there. Um, the government is not going to cut you a blank check and tell you, make, make me some psychics. Right. But if they had done that, Ingo would, Ingo would have made more Pat prices. He wouldn't have made CRV. Right. Um, and I think what he would have probably done is what he learned in Scientology, which is why he could externalize his awareness super easily. And so could Pat price. They're both Scientologists. Um, and I think Scientology, I'm not like super big on the history of Scientology, but I understand that at some point there was kind of a big change and what was being taught very much changed. And certainly in the earlier days, they had 
very useful what you'd call spiritual technology you know which had come from other places for sure you know hubbard well we cover that a bit later right but um they had a grab bag of great spiritual technology and they were teaching it and it was only later that it got the problems which we all kind of like know it for today um and that may have involved the cia and the change of leadership and all sorts of crazy wild things it's amazing how much scientology crops up in strange places when you're researching these kinds of topics isn't it it's like what why is it always you guys what it's the cia and the scientologists (laughs) (laughs) it is interesting though you're right if you research that topic and the interest that the cia had in in scientology at the time Mm. um i remember my parents my dad had an extensive library and that dianetics book was always one that that sat Uh, i've never actually read through the thing but yeah i think that was very during that time period right i don't even know if it were they calling it scientology i'm not even sure but like this this concept of dianetics and but i think you shared you know an observation that some people would come across whereas if you look at some of the you know um the process in scientology where you have one individual working with another i'm trying to i'm trying to remember what the what they call this the um you know what i'm talking about oh. where the it's a auditing in in rv would have like yeah auditing thank you yeah so like the, there's, there's actually a correlation to that with uh some of the remote viewing methodologies and having this idea of a control like somebody who's uh there as a monitor to if if you look at the just the way crv is formatted on the page like just the use of square brackets and start stop times all this stuff like they're just little details but there's quite a few of them which are very very similar to the way scientology would lay out an auditing session and that would be something that ingo would have done a huge amount of and and gained very great personal benefit from doing as well i mean it kind of seems like a creepy idea doing doing some kind of therapy thing where they get all the skeletons in your closet and put them in a filing cabinet in case you ever, you know, cross them. But that is an example of one of the spiritual technologies, which they picked up from wherever it was. I can't remember. There there was a psychiatrist or psychologist or somebody who was working on this. And then it kind of got subsumed into Scientology. but it's actually an unbelievably powerful technique, right? I've learned to do it myself and you can achieve more in like a half hour doing that than you could in six months of therapy. Sometimes it is incredibly powerful and you don't need the e-meter either, you know? Um, and again, that involves a whole bunch of models about how the mind works, which sound kind of wrong and kind of dumb to me, but they're useful in that context. They work, right? So it doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. I happen to think they're probably not very right, but I don't care at all because if you apply those models in the context of that tool, you can dig trauma, repress memories and repress feelings and all sorts of junk and crap out of your subconscious. It's like um, draining a cyst or something. You know, you can, you can just like smash through this stuff um, quite intensively and just be free of it. And it is absolutely incredible what a difference that makes you because a lot of this stuff is about beliefs that you've internalized about what you can't do about who you are or who you're not, you know, which, which is why they were doing it, but you want to become aware of those deprogram the ones that are getting in your way, you know, like you, everybody knows somebody who's always late, right. And whatever they do, they're always late. Right. 
I don't know what percentage of the time if that person did a clearing session, which is kind of a secular desyntologized version of that process that isn't creepy is just therapeutic you would find you know i'm always late i'm never on time there's never enough time you'd find some core belief in there um it would be based on some dumbass childhood memory which wasn't a big deal but it gets kind of repressed and squished down into the subconscious mind and then it just sits there and screws your life up like there's this brilliant quote from jung that is something like um until you make the unconscious conscious it will direct your life and you'll call it fate Right, this is exactly what Scientology's auditing thing is doing. Um, Ingo even credited that process in print um, for what he achieved with remote viewing as well. He said, "I can, I can actually find it because it's only like one sentence long." Let me just dig it out of my notes. Um, it's always funny to me talk about people being late. It's interesting when you have the friend who's always late by the exact same amount of time. So you can just go ahead and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can just it. <laughs> it's like can you right? Yeah, yeah. I know that twenty five minutes to that. Yeah, yeah, at least they're consistent. That's, that's so this is Ingo being interviewed by Advance, which may be actually a Scientology magazine. I don't know some magazine, and they ask. Um, how would you describe the abilities in Scientology terms, which you've had occasion to publicly demonstrate? And he says, Thetan interaction with matter, energy, space, and time bypassing the body. I have no idea what that means. Um, but then they say, how did these abilities develop with relationship to your auditing on the OT levels? They are solely the result of auditing, not particularly even the OT levels. So what he's saying is all the benefit he got was from basically doing supercharged therapy. Um, so wait, like Thetans is kind of like the Scientology idea of the soul, right? It's the aliens trapped inside the human bodies because of the volcano or so. I don't know. So interaction with matter, energy, space, and time bypassing the body. Yeah. So he's just talking about the spirit, the soul, the consciousness interacting with information and the world without using the physical body, right? He's talking about magic or remote viewing or whatever conceptual lens you want to put that in. And he's saying, the reason I can do this is because I cleared out all of the crap from my subconscious mind, which is, which is part of the spiritual process. You know, you need to do that. You can't just slap a big smile on and be like, Oh, I only accept positivity in my life. Now check out my dream catcher. That's you have to feel all your horrible <laughs> feelings. <was> that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. That's was good. I I'm like sure that. there's a YouTube channel. That's, that's my other YouTube, YouTube channel. I sell crystals. So if you don't mind, um, me, yeah, <laughs> if you don't mind me posing this question to you, um, I, I'm certainly willing to share it on my behalf. But when I when I got into remote viewing, you run targets, practice targets, and eventually for me, I was like, you know, that's great, but what else can I do? And so I had a lot of targets that I I wrote. There were these kind of gnosis targets. I turned them on myself or turned them into myself, right? To to our and the the results from some of those tasks have really had for me like a, a very transformative effect. Like it's, it's not just been kind of, uh, flowers and, you know, these, these vague kind of, uh, things. Oftentimes what I'm finding in some of these things that I'm doing are that they, they're like temporal bookmarks. Like I'm coming across things where a session will show me something. And when I reach that point, it turns out to be a pivotal point. And I, so in your experience, you know, are, is there an aspect to what we call remote viewing that can be, have you ever tried that and walked down that path to um, sort of look at targets that have that sort of personal connotation of the idea about spiritual development through a conversation with whatever that information is that's coming back? So, uh, yeah, using it for personal 
inner work type stuff. Like I, I haven't really used remote viewing in terms of the protocol for that. I've occasionally tasked other viewers rather than making myself a blind pool because it's usually if I have something that I kind of want to know on a short term. So I haven't got like the, the questions of life, the universe and everything all in a blind pool for me to tackle. But having said that, the skills that you develop through practicing remote viewing are really great skills for looking inside yourself and doing that work. So taking remote viewing out of the lab and out of protocol, very often I leave things alone, you know, but um, I think where I'm at now is sort of allowing things to intuitively come to me and trusting I'll have what I need when I need it, which I do. You know, sometimes things leave me vexed or perplexed and I can't work something out and inevitably it will shake itself out in a couple of weeks, you know? Um, so if I get really stuck, which I haven't done this for a long time, but if I'm really like in a bind, I get the tarot cards out because it's usually like a, an ethical quandary. Like what the hell do I do in this situation? what's going on with this person is this decision terrible or not you know and tarot cards work as well as any other divination method they're good uh so i crack those out it's quick and easy it works if you don't mind me asking so that fascinates mm -hmm. me with other methodologies do you find like when you do tarot that that the cards themselves kind of become focal points that you receive information from? Like you're not just getting the card. Are no, you getting, are you no, getting like, no, not at all. No, right. I suck at tarot. How does that work for you? How does it reader. feel? Um, I, I shuffle a deck. I set my intent. Like I would make a remote viewing target. I just, I'm very clear about exactly what I want to know. And then I forget about it. Um, then I shuffle my deck, pull out probably three cards, maybe more, maybe just do whatever I intuitively want to do. Um, and then I look at them and go, what does that mean? And then I get the guidebook out and I'm like, Oh, it's the of cups. What does that mean? And I sit there with the book because like I do it so rarely, I don't know what the different cards mean. And I don't read the cards sort of very intuitively. I guess I'm just kind of beginning to look at them and have a slight feeling for them. But like tarot isn't a big area of study for me at all, but it's, it's, it's a system that works. It's convenient. It's quick. And, the I use the, the Alistair Crowley Thoth Tarot deck, and it's got an amazing guidebook that has like cross references to Shakespeare and I Ching and astrology, and just ever has loads of really good discussion in it, uh, which is enough for me. You know, I think you can use you can actually use more or less anything as a divination system, uh, like bibliomancy. You ever done that? You know, you grab yeah, a book so, around them uh... and then. Just oh, there and here, the enormity of what was communicated. There you go. Not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had like where Bible verses. I, it's the strangest thing. Like I, I do not consider myself um, a practicing Christian. I don't really have that kind of religious connotation. But that was my background. That's where I came from. Came mm. up from. Sometimes in remote viewing sessions, I will get Bible verse. I don't know anything about the Bible. You could you couldn't ask me a damn thing about it, and I'll yeah. get Bible verses that'll have relevancy to the target, which is is crazy. So 
you know, I, I think sometimes people talk about that, right? And I know you've had this experience too, where you might have a word come up in the session that you don't know yet, but when you go and look it up, you know, it's that, it's you ever perfect, had that experience yeah. where you get a word and like, it's not even in your lexicon that you know of. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I saw, I like I've heard it before, but I don't know exactly what it means. Yeah. yeah. I was once tasked on meditations by Marcus Aurelius and like how he wrote it, what was going through his head when he wrote it, what the writing it process was. Um, and I used the word genuflecting somewhere in that, which like, how often do you see that one? I like I'd heard it before. And when I looked up, it, it means like going down on one knee and kind of reverence or respect for someone. And it was totally made sense where it was in the session. Um, that's certainly one that pops out for me. I think it's like, um, it goes back to symbolic systems. Like we were just talking about tarot cards and people use them as like a spiritual study guide. Don't they? But there's kind of a universe, the idea of a universal language and the tarot cards are like reflection of the universal language. And people do things like scrying the tarot cards and kind of have almost shamanic experiences with them to kind of learn these big concepts. And one of the benefits to doing that is you kind of pro it's like learning a new language. You program into your mind this whole symbolic system that you can then just use. And I think the same thing in remote viewing, right? You got Bible verses. I, I, I occasionally have like, um, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. <laughs> you know, I've, I've written that a few times and it's just like, <laughs> Subconscious is making Star Trek references. I once had uh, a, I, th I think it gets called a stage seven sometimes, which is a terrible name for it. But when your subconscious talks or the psi system, whatever it is, talks directly to you as the viewer and passes judgment on your session or passes comment on it. And I remember I was doing a training target once that was the ref the refraction of a laser beam through a prism. And it was like the tasking was actually like just a picture of this laser, but and it's like describe how light bends in this. And I was obviously making a total hash up of it. And I was kind of halfway down a page of stage four, and I just got this sort of like, whoa, 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 you are doing such a bad job of explaining this, man. You are never going to get what this is. You are screwing this up so badly. And, and um, I th I'm pretty sure it actually had a face palm emoji, you know, like an emoji came through as because that's just like the symbol that I would use. Right. And have used such a lot. Um, especially as that's, a that's highly engineer, useful. You use that one a lot, right? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't yeah. usually as it's highly unusual that it actually interjects. Usually, you know, it stays out of the way and lets me cock things up on my own, but very occasionally it, it, it pipes up and goes, you know, notice there's anything like particularly positive, I guess maybe it does, but. I remember I was practicing, um, like not completely merging with other people's consciousness, but just kind of like quickly dialing people up. And I was just driving down the road and every car that came past, I was just like connecting with the driver of it just to see what it felt like. And I did that for a couple of days and it was, I was just kind of like, it was practice to just exercise that muscle of connecting to people quickly in that remote viewing kind of modality. And after a couple of days of that, it piped up and said, stop doing that, man. It's gross. So, so I, wow. did. I was just like, all right, I will. I didn't realize it was that gross, but I kind of, I can see that angle on it, <laughs> but yeah, usually it, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so if you don't mind me asking this, cause I think you would share some things with 
with me and others uh, just about, but I know for you, I, th I think, you know, outside of remote viewing, like you, you just use psychic functioning in a lot of different ways, right? So, I mean, there's this remote viewing thing that we can go off and do, but I remember you shared one time, like that maybe just perhaps that there might be some like, you know, video game successes or, or other recreational oh, yeah, activities. Yeah. Where, <laughs> is that true right. that you actually, that yeah, you utilize I, I, uh, ability to I play uh, Counter-Strike, but since I had kids, I only ever play Deathmatch because it's just like if I've got five minutes to kill, it's just like an activity that I don't care about, that I can quit out of the game and it's not going to piss off everyone I was playing with. you know. So it's scalable, little bit of time-filling activity. And I got accused of cheating twice today by two different people back-to-back. -back. And I didn't say, you know, like I'm actually a psychic, that's why I'm good because i'm not very good at playing the game you know i don't have very good hand-eye coordination but it's like i know and i use it as practice and it's actually great practice i would even recommend that people do this especially if you pay, play like a fast-paced anything fast-paced where you've got unknown stuff coming up in the future that's relatively i mean you could even do it with tetris i guess but that's more forced choice because there's only five things there's going to be right how many tiles there are but with something that's more of an open world thing it becomes more free response, right? So I'm playing this game and I'm looking at where is my next, you know, who's going to jump me? Where's the next fight going to be? Where's the next engagement going to be? So I'm ready when, I'm, you know, it, I'm not always right, but it's great practice because you get that rapid, rapid feedback. That's like, I can make a prediction and get feedback within like 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Um, the more yeah, I do it, the I've actually I I've seen people talk mm -hmm. talk about like a challenge methodology that um, so I, I, I got in this habit myself, like I'm going into a store, like I'm going to the coffee shop, I'll try to envision what the person is going to be before I get there. But I think mm -hmm. you're doing things like this, right? Because I think you shared once too, like you were doing things like coming up on uh, curbs and like seeing cars before they you know, you be you were oh, getting yeah, yeah. good visuals off vehicles that would appear before. So are you like, do you do, you do that? Do you, you're, are you coming up with other games that you play during the day just to make sure you're activating that, that psychic faculty? Yeah. I mean, I do, driving's a great one, especially around where I live, like it's the country. So we have lots of windy roads and blind corners and stuff. So you actually can't see very far down the road. And it's good to know. Like, I, I don't drive unsafely assuming I'm right, right? Because I'm not always right. But it's it's fun to be like, when am I going to meet the next vehicle? Is it going the same way as me? Is it coming the other way? What does it look like? Is it big, small, fast, stationary, color, that kind of stuff? Um, and I've been kind of trying to construct like a, because it's, I mean, it's not particularly distracting, but it seems like more distracting than you'd want it to be when you're driving to be slightly bilocating down the road, right? And it's not, it's not like... It's not like my awareness is impaired, but you don't really want to be concentrating on anything other than driving, right? It's just kind of listening to something really interesting on the radio would distract you a bit, or a conversation with a passenger would distract you a bit, and then you get to a complicated jump junction and you tell them, shut up, right? I need all my attention. So I've been trying to kind of automate the process by building something a bit like a heads-up display by just kind of practicing visualizing it. So I kind of have like two boxes, one for my lane, one for the oncoming lane. Um, and a sort of wavy go arrow motion thing 
which I'm trying to train my mind to just like render that as like a HUD um, with limited success because uh, it doesn't kind of show up automatically yet. This but then amazing. I can kind of see you're, like a warning flag you're, you're in the lane. A psychic safety system for driving. Yeah, yeah. By, I mean, by... it's... <laughs> that's, yeah. that's incredible. I, I had that today. I was going along a road that's got like loads. It's straight, but it has loads of little hills in it. So you can only see like each chunk at a time. Um, but I've been going along it and going up and down. So you kind of, I knew nobody was in front of me. And I'm about to go over one of these humps. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should practice that. I'll look. Because it's a blind summit. There could be a horse the other side of it. There could be any crazy shit. It's country. So I was like, oh, I'll practice that. I do slow down anyway. I just want to reiterate to everybody, this is not an excuse to drive like an idiot. Like, I do, I drive <laughs> as if I'm not a psychic. I'm just practicing the skills while I do it. Um, so I, kinda, I do that and get my little HUD with my two boxes. And it's like, there's a vehicle on my side of the road. And I, that's really weird because there's no turning. It couldn't come on. And I'm sure I would have seen somebody as I've been coming along. And then I went over the hump and there was a tractor parked just off the road on my side in a lay-by that was just parked. The guy was just getting into it. So there was a vehicle on my side of the road, kind of. I mean, he wasn't in my way, but he was like right next to my lane. Um, but stuff like that is a good example of how that can help you to trust the data, trust the like initial impressions you have. Because like I had that impression there's a vehicle there and then my intellectual mind was immediately like that's weird that doesn't make sense maybe you're wrong there's nowhere it could have come from you would have seen it before and i went over the thing and it's like yeah it is there you know <laughs> so i found doing that i was wrong a lot and i'm wrong less now but i'm still wrong a lot and it's it's really interesting the ways in which you're wrong because because it's again it's a short feedback loop right you you make a prediction you get feedback so you can remember really clearly like did I second guess myself? Did I think, no, that's impossible? Did I think, no, surely I will see a vehicle before this point. I must have missed one. And then actually you didn't. It's just quiet. You know, and it allows you to kind of look back and do a feedback session, if you like, on your prior prediction really easily because it was like a minute ago. So in that respect, it's got something on remote viewing training where it's like days. Um, you're looking at your session going, what went well? What didn't go well? Did I interpret that data correctly, you know, and translate the sort of subconscious feeling into words properly? And sometimes you just can't remember what was going on in your head, or you can't remember it in detail. Um, you, I mean, you can recreate it. You can probe a remote viewing session and put yourself back in the state that you're in when you perceive that data. So you can kind of re-experience it, but I don't think you can really recreate your entire thought process. And like, if you were second guessing yourself or if you were kind of trying to interpret or judge your data or something that can get lost. So doing things like play video games, driving, I mean, even if you just sat having coffee, who's going to walk around the corner next, what clothes are they going to be wearing? How fast are they going? Which direction? Anything. So let me ask you, cause you, you've done, you've done a lot of different work. Um, you've done a lot of really cool work. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about, um, in your remote viewing background, you were doing some work through a group called Cypher, which I loved. Um, you all were doing some amazing targets, and I think uh, I heard on maybe one of the dash chats that that, that Cipher has come to come to a close, maybe at the at least the the first chapter. Or, um, but um, I'm curious because I was I was listening to some of those podcasts too. I was also hearing like uh, maybe some of your your friends and counterparts in that group saying, 
Yeah, David would just love to run about 15 different sessions on this target and just keep going. <laughs> uh, I'm always curious, like in your work, like I'm, I'm picturing this voluminous stack of papers that, you know, so when you, I guess two well, questions hey, in that one, if you want to talk a little bit about Cypher. Here's <laughs> what oh hasn't my. gone through the, I mean, that's, that's the last few months that hasn't gone through that's the shredding yet. <laughs> okay. When I heard the shuffling of papers, I knew it was going to be good. So <laughs> you just answered my question with that one. But I guess one, if you want to talk about Cypher, but, uh, but also when, when you do work on things that matter, things you care about, like, uh, how are you approaching it? Some people just go into these really quick sessions. We hear, you know, um, sounds like your methodology, you're really diving deep and you're kind of stitching piece by piece this picture together. Is that, is that kind of right? So I'm sorry, I two mean, questions I, inside that. When, when you say stuff I really care about, what do you mean? Cause it's it's hard to do that in any kind of psychic or intuitive modality to do stuff that you're emotionally engaged with right um it's important to have detachment from results you know that's mm. something that uh, remote viewing has very rightly borrowed from the world of magic and occultism and stuff you need to disengage your mind and your emotions from what you're doing or they will fuck it up right so if you're in any situation where you're having a strong emotional reaction and engagement with something, you're not going to be able to perceive that clearly. If you sit down and try and do it occasionally, you might find yourself in a state where you don't care. Like if you're just kind of like, I'm just, I totally confused about this. I'm just done thinking about it. I really don't know. Like I, I, I'm not even like able to clearly judge how I feel emotionally about these different outcomes, or I don't know the outcomes or something. Maybe if you can kind of trick yourself into being like, oh, I don't know, you can sneak a little bit of data through there, but it's dodgy. Um, I think I would much prefer to use a divination tool like tarot um, in that situation or, or anything, you know, something random where my emotions are not going to screw it up because I'm not having to interpret my stuff coming up my subconscious, you know, use something that's outside of the body rather than something that's subjectively inside it right um i mean you could still misinterpret your tarot cards because you desperately don't want it the answer to be this right i think the the answer for everybody really is if it's that bad get somebody else to do it get a remote viewer or a psychic to do it for you you know that somebody who's detached from this situation i think if i'm hearing you correctly that detachment and that neutrality you're trying to bring that to every session it doesn't matter yeah you know, whatever you're doing yeah. you're, you're to, to I think make sure very... that, uh, that to improve the quality of your session overall. Yeah. Well, think about AOL. We can get stuck in AOL, which for non-remote viewers is analytical overlay. It's, it's when you guess and the, the intellectual mind is like, oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. And sometimes you can get stuck with that because part of you wants to be right, you know, and then that itself is based on like, well, why is that? You know, do I want the reward of being right and everybody going like, wow, you're so good at this? Or am I scared of what happens if I'm wrong? And that's why I want to be right, because I don't want to look dumb doing this insane, impossible thing, which nobody believes is real. And then like, oh, I don't want to look dumb because it didn't work. And you have actually quite a lot of emotional engagement with this stuff, um, which is why I quite often don't do the things that people post on Twitter where they're like, oh, remote viewing challenge, let's do this, because I don't want to like just be wrong and look dumb. 
and, and it'll probably be all right. Like I've quite often done those things and not shown anybody my session or told anybody I did it and then nailed it and been like, well, it's too late now because they did the review, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. Man, so, I've, I've, often done, I've often thought of that. Have you seen like Yuri and, you know, he's a controversial figure, right? Um, but mm. the things that he would do to, to be able to see targets in an envelope, I mean, you can do those. Uh, we know plenty of people who can do that. It's not terrible mm. that terribly impressive could you do it live on tv yes yeah. live on tv <laughs> it's like mm. how, how do you get to that level of of well i guess actually, to, yeah what joe mcmonagle does is he does the remote viewing the night before he goes on tv so he's sat in his hotel room he can take his time <laughs> he can chill out he refines the whole he does it all there and then goes on tv and it's like it's this and they're like wow how did you do that and he's like slowly yesterday <laughs> i mean he does actually brilliant that, but, i like that know, yeah. yeah yeah i mean i, I like that as a, a strategy i think <laughs> i think well, that's I, I admire I if I had you, uh, you led a talk on the dash chat that i really enjoyed talking about cowboy rv but one of the things i really liked mm. about you you just challenge everybody just to jump in and uh you know it's hard right uh, if people do a lot of things with remote viewing for some serious reasons sometimes but you get this whole thing about you know we're not always accurate and so i think you know kind of throwing challenges out there to the whole group to get together and, and use this ability out in front of everyone and talk about it it's i thought that was really refreshing actually to uh because it kind oh, of thanks. seems to kind of push against that uh instinct that everyone has like we know it works. It doesn't always work. And nobody wants to, you know, like to your point, wants to look dumb. But um, there's a truism, right? That, yeah, I thought utilizing Psy in that way and getting used to that seemed like a very constructive thing to me. So that was a really cool activity. How'd you come up with that idea? Yeah. I think I've seen other people do it in different contexts, you know, any kind of workshop setting. If you can get people to give it a try, because like, you know, now you try spinning a plate on your own stick. Now you've learned how to do it. Right? It could be, it doesn't have to be woo. Um, I mean, that's, I, I think that probably made more impact on you than I'd kind of given it credit for. I just thought it would be, you know, engaging and fun. And I wanted to get the point across that we don't need to be overcomplicated about this and that it is as simple as, like I, I was talking to someone yesterday, I think, who had just come on the Discord and was like, oh, me and my wife are trying remote viewing and she's really good at it. And she's like super intuitive and she's nailing everything and I'm struggling. And I talked to him and it was like, it was just going too slow. Um, so I said, just, just take the first thing that comes into your head. Just make something up. It can be a lie. It can be imagination. It doesn't have to be right. Just like ask what color is it? And then immediately answer the question. I don't care if you're right. There's a target. What color is it? He's like yellow. And it was yellow. It was this picture of some sand dunes. And it's like, it's that simple, you know? And it's, it's hard to see how simple it is from the outside, isn't it? And you think, oh, am I doing it right? Am I am I in the right state of mind? And like the thing that gets in your way is actually the intellect in second guessing yourself, right? Which is which is kind of funny, isn't it? Because the intellect's there going, how do I do this? How do I do this? And it's like, you don't. That, stop it. That's the answer, right? <laughs> stop thinking about it. And then it will just work straight away really easily. Getting out of our own way is probably one of the most like long-term trainings that any remote viewer does is just to increasingly get out of their own way and shut up and stop worrying and second guessing and analyzing and intellectualizing because it just doesn't just doesn't help so let, let me ask you this because you didn't give me any boundary lines for questions um so but if you're interested in sharing some thoughts on it 
because I, I find it richly amusing. And I know you have read broadly in a lot of um, different uh, philosophies, a lot of different traditions that include um, ideas like precognition, but it's just a subset of a much broader set of practices. So a lot of times in these remote viewing books that we read through, you have people who uh, talk about encountering spirits or shadow figures. or So uh, <laughs> it's funny to me because the military remote viewers are usually very like, you know, very, uh, you know, all the points on the yeah, square, everything's perfectly aligned. We're, we're viewing molecules <laughs> yeah. from our minds. Right. right. Yeah. And then, then the shadow people come out. So <laughs> what, what's going on with that, David? I mean, like, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but like, there's, there's something going on so, with it. So your question is not, what's, yeah. what's with the shadow people? All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never seen one. Um, so bearing in mind, all models are wrong and some are useful. I'll give you a couple of models. Uh, if they're not useful, they're definitely wrong. So my position is that all this stuff is mind, it's consciousness, it's thought, and this physical reality that we're probably in, but can't be quite certain that we're in, is emergent from that, right? That comes first and is outside. And our consciousness is also part of that. We're like a special little bit of consciousness poking through the surface. Hello! I'm an individual. Oh, I'm an individual too. You know, it's like, not really. It's just the universe playing dress up. So what can exist in thought? Like everything. And we, we have a lot of thoughts, don't we? And sometimes we have very powerful, emotionally charged thoughts, which you can kind of, it seems they can kind of float away on their own. Right. And, you know, just like if you remote view a conspiracy theory, and your your session data can very strongly reflect something which is just so absurd that it's impossible. You know, that's just like ridiculous, it's like the plot of a TV show and that data comes back, right? So how did the plot of a fictional conspiracy theory, absurd scenario, get into the place where our remote viewing data is coming from? You know, one or probably more than one person thunk it really hard and it went and those things can in certain situations appear to have kind of a form of sentience. Um, they're not really, I don't think, um, very often they're kind of like how to explain this succinctly, kind of like little blobs of thought. They're like a, a tiny subset of a person's like whatever traumatic thing they're going through. So, quite commonly that would be ghosts right ghosts which if people have a traumatic death um they can be really confused and pissed off is there still an individual there the the whole whatever it is the soul if that's a thing i don't think so i think this is kind of like a lingering echo in consciousness of that emotionally intense thing and that will float around and glom onto people and scare the hell out of them it's actually super straightforward to get rid of. It's you basically just kind of get it to recount its story. If you imagine it, I imagine these things as like a ball of string, like a tangled up ball of string. And if you untangle it, straighten it out, it just, it's just gone. Right. Hmm. And that's basically the approach to those. There also does seem to be things that live not here. Like I've 
occasionally bumped into things which from my subjective experience of the experience I had, they seem to be real things. And they sometimes seem to have real physical or borderline physical effects. And they certainly seem to have autonomy and free will and their own agenda. Those, you know, like beings, real things. We bumped into a few of those when we were experimenting with Cowboy RV. And we started off with fictional characters because we'd like the idea of Cowboy RV at first was to do magical evocation, which is, you know, you think of guys in their robes and the magic circle with the candles and they're conjuring a demon into a triangle they've drawn on the floor. And there's like Hebrew letters and magic wands and stuff everywhere. Like that's the tradition that we were trying to kind of put a um, new spin on because we thought, wouldn't it be cool to talk to one of these things and be blind, right? So the viewer has no idea what they're talking to because when people do that as kind of part of the spiritual work of ceremonial magic, they know what they're dialing up and talking to. And it's not that it doesn't work, but you've got that layer of assumption and bias and what you can and can't believe about it and what, what you want to believe about. You know, you've got your own baggage as the practitioner, which is, I think, inevitably going to be a bit of an overlay um, over the experience. So we were thinking like, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could do that blind and we can dial up some of those things and see how real they seem when the remote viewer isn't expecting, you know, because if you go through all that drama of ceremonial magic and you get dressed up and you do all the opening rituals and all that chanting and the candles and the dark and the nudity and everything, you know, if you do all that, you, one of the functions of it is to kind of get you into a bit of a in-betweeny sort of space to get you into a slightly altered state. You know, it's not going to take much to uh, to make for a really kind of profound, amazing or terrifying experience. It's a very like um, impressionable, it's impressionable, the right word. You know what I mean? Not quite a vulnerable state, but it's, yeah, you're not quite, just sat here like a remote viewer going, yeah, it's like this, it's like that, whatever. You know, it's it's a big song and dance, uh, significant. So, yeah, we thought, what's it going to be like if we try dialing up these very same things out of context without any of that prep? So we're just sat here, like you and I are sat here now. You can be the remote viewer. No, no, we let's not do that on video. We'll be here for hours and you'll get haunted. So we started off doing fictional targets the very first one ever was dr strange you know which is when we discovered how well you can i know what a great choice um and i did an awesome sketch as well and i was like he's holding this round dinner plate thing why is he holding this and it's you know like the graphics <laughs> of a swirly thing um yeah but yeah you could you could kind of hold a sort of a conversation with him and he would respond kind of as you'd expect the character to and like i was blind i was just talking to something i had monitor there saying ask it this ask it that and yeah looking back it responded in character right so there you've got a thing which is behaving as if it's a person that is not a person and we know it's not a person we know it's not a it's not even a maybe it exists it just exists in our collective imagination but yet you can psychically access it literally talk to it and ask it what what its opinion on um chaos magic is you know and it's like oh i think it's very sweet that you're doing something there, there, well done, little ones. You know, even answers and characters, brilliant. Um, so we did a bunch of those, and then we kind of got bored of those and started playing with um, Greco-Roman deities, some of whom seem to exist 
in that thought for me way and be like basically made up. But then there's like one or two deities, um, which are not like that. They're something else. Um, this that's, that's a fa fascinating uh, delineation yeah, and, that you're and making. Like, so, is I'm curious, like, how did that yeah, delineation play out? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because when you dial one of these things up, you fucking know about it, like straight away. It's completely different subjective experience. It's um, the aesthetic the impact. The way it feels, the way the aesthetic impact. So the way it's coming yeah. across to you is just. Yeah, I mean, sort of a, a sense of physical presence in your local space, a sense of awe, yeah. a sense of vast scale. You know, whereas if you're doing more of a thought form, imaginary thing, you've just got like basically a picture of a person there that's a bit fuzzy and you're like hello it's almost like a there's hello. a dynamicism dynamic i can't speak this evening. dynamicism dynamic? dynamic dynamism that's it there we go <laughs> yeah it's one of those um yeah and it comes with more kind of i mean it's not sensory experience uh because it's obviously not your physical senses but uh, maybe emotional experience or it seems hmm. real. You can feel its presence. Whereas do you, do you think the there's rest some... of the time you're kind of like querying in the alternate case, you're kind of, it's more like querying a database. It doesn't really have that same sense of presence. Um, sorry, go ahead. Do you, do you think there's some suggestions? So you talked about the model of, you also talked about the challenge of models. So I'm acknowledging your the entire conversation <laughs> having here, right? Everything but, you know, models wrong. evolve. So, yeah. Right, right. Said. And we're always moving through things. There are hats you try on. You can take put one on that you like and then take it off again. But the uh you know, this this I the idea of I I uh that the fundamental material reality may be informed by thought or some consciousness or something underlying layer. And so I know in what you're talking about with these fictional characters. Um, you know, the historical traditions of things like tulpas or Grigors and certain mm. magical lodges, this idea of like thought forms that actually begin to kind of coalesce and have some sort, even to some extent where, you know, some people would account that even people who aren't, didn't necessarily create the tulpa or the thought form were experiencing it or were seeing it. Oh yeah. So do, yeah. do you think that there's some suggestion in those things like that, that overlay with those remote viewing experiences maybe suggest something about the, what could be going on at a deeper level in reality? I mean, my experience was kind of consistent with that idea. Um, I mean, I don't really know what to make of the experiences. When you meet a deity or a, a first-class free will endowed individual independent being who just doesn't happen to be a physical being, it's, you know, you don't want to get sucked into reading too much into that situation or ascribing specific interpretations to that phenomenon right and it's really cool and it's really interesting and it can be really profound but if you start forming like really firm beliefs about it i think that that's kind of slippery dodgy territory to get into and you can kind of get into a mess then not least because there are some things out there which just there to fuck with you right and they <laughs> they will if you let them so you've got to keep all of this stuff at, at arm's length um, or you can just end up going insane. Um, you do have to be careful with it. But um, when, what was the question? Sorry, I sidetracked totally. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think in your experience, you were talking about with cowboy RVs, so like this freeform form, 
sort of RV oh, and just and really um, the, the tulpas and thought forms that maybe there's some um, suggestion between those traditions and the experiences that you're seeing in cowboy RV that that, that yeah. may inform us about something going on with thought being fundamental, that, that the intersection between the material world and the, what we think of as thought, that there's some kind of fundamental connectivity that may be even more uh, stronger or, or more formative than we even realize. Alternatively, it's possible that the fact that I studied a bunch of esotericism and practiced a bunch of occult things may have informed my own assumptions about what I'm going to experience. And therefore I've made my own filter and my own model by which maybe it's not like that at all. Um, although doing it blind, at least, at least you've got one layer of personal bias removed when you're blind to the target. You ever read the book, uh, Neil Gaiman book, the American gods, they had a television series. Oh, that I watched, on, I like watched some the, of the TV series, but yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting because like the idea is like the faith and devotion of the individuals then kind of feeds that, that thought form or it feeds the, the yeah. archetype or the, it's like the it, it actually of starts has, kind of, yeah, yeah, it has kind of an energetic reality to it that, uh, which I thought is kind of interesting idea. I, th I think as well, um, like egregores don't need to be personified necessarily. Um, you know, things like, I guess, political ideologies or, very strong emotions in common, you know, there is a, just such a thing as vibes, which hang around, you know, um, that are not necessarily ever conceptualized as being a being, you know, like if enough people invent a God and then really believe in it and talk to it all the time and make offerings and feed it and stuff. Yeah, sure. You'll end up with an egregore eventually you might even do some stuff. Um, but I think if, if a lot of people just feel the same way and go the same way a lot, you kind of tread, tread a path through the collective unconscious and you kind of leave a mark by doing that. That's my you, completely like hand wavy, unjustified yeah. hunch on the matter. Do you think marketing brands, like if you think the, like the Nike swoop are those egregores, are they working the same way? Is there, is there an energetic component to I don't, these, well, I don't know about, these ideas? Of, yeah. I don't know about the logos or, or brands being egregores, but I mean, there's stuff in the collective unconscious, which marketers are going to tap into, I guess. Um, I think I would have to be a student of like the history of advertising to be able to make a really good, which I'm not, um, there's like three levels of ad block on my PC. If I never see an ad again, I'll be so happy. Um, but I think, I think if you, if you were really successful at producing advertising, you would be probably tapping into collective insecurities or collective desires or goals or dreams or stories um to kind of leverage the power of that to you know you can use symbols to trigger like you take a smoker show them a packet of cigarettes they want a pack of cigarettes right queuing okay so there's that whole physiological, emotional, cultural thing going on in being addicted to smoking cigarettes. And then you just have this little symbol. You have a poster with somebody holding up a packet of cigarettes on it. And like, boom, you've triggered this big cascade of like thoughts and emotions, biochemical reactions in all of the smokers who walk past it, right? Which is why they're not allowed to put pictures of cigarettes on advertising billboards anymore, at least not here. Um, so I think you can, you can find symbols like that, that are going to push people's buttons in more subtle ways than like being smoking 
but that was that was just a clear example that popped into my head. I would speculate. It's going to be magical marketing agency. It's going to be the new the new thing. It's well, really take off. I mean, how do you know that they're not? Like so many. Um... <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the reason I love it. Get into that conversation. <laughs> you ever see the thing where they talked about Sony having a par paranormal unit? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's weird stuff. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, when yeah. people have a lot of money and a bit of time, and are no longer like trying to live paycheck to paycheck and worry about the normal things then you know you kind of kind of want to know the answers to the big questions then right that's why so many uh like famous pop stars get into ufos and you know all the woo it's because it's like i can never need any more money in my life like i'm rich and famous and have everything that i want and yet still i'm not complete right there's there's something which is missing. And I want to find what that is and find what that meaning is. And, you know, it's that next, that next level of stuff that you kind of got to dive into once the, the lower levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are all very well satisfied. So yeah, I think it would be naive to assume that people with a lot of money are not interested in this stuff. Um, as to who, or like, I'm not a proponent of the whole, it's the Illuminati, but you know, there, there's a whole quiet kind of subcurrent of people providing these kind of services to wealthy people. And obviously it's all NDA and it's all anonymous and like, nobody's talking about it because nobody wants to know that they were, uh, wants everybody to know that the CEO was talking to psychics. Um, that's not cool, but they are, you know, and they're hiring remote viewers and they're hiring psychics and astrologers and people to come and feng shui the whatever you know like the, the business people care about results right not models of reality it's like does it work well let's try it they find it does work let's keep doing it like it's not rocket science to think that you would leverage this stuff like and how easy it is as well it's not like there's a high barrier to entry right you can just try it and show that it works. So why wouldn't successful people be using this to get more successful? There's, a, there's the whole books about it. Um, there's a really good one. I forget the name of, I may be able to find it. Let me just quickly check and see if I got a copy of it. It's called like intuition and business or something. Oh no. Executive intuition. Executive intuition. Oh yeah, that might be it. Is that it? Is yeah, is it really old? This is from like the seventies, I think. <laughs> but anyway, there's yeah, there's tons of stuff out there. It's just quiet. Nobody talks about it because people think you're crazy or it's a bad look, but it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's... <laughs> let me ask you about this. All right. So this this is interesting to me and you seem to be I would almost use the word passionate about this, uh, from from what I can observe. But I mean, they're legitimately secrets, right? There have been secrets for some time and they're only secrets by the virtue of the fact that, you know, some of the, the worldview that, that we've grown up here in the West, but I mean, there, there are definitely groups too. And that there's knowledge of different things that um, I, I had no idea of, you know, where psychic ability was being utilized and how it's being utilized and how effective it can be in some cases. Right. So uh, I think you have put forward, you know, now we're in the age you talked about when you first had this experience and you laid down in bed and you had, this cascade of almost this crisis that occurred for you, you were out on the internet and 
anybody knows, like you go on the internet and there's all kinds of things that you can find. And so, you know, are we at an age now where realizing that if we want to put, we always get in trouble with words. So we'll just talk about consciousness or, or magic or psyability or whatever term you want to insert <laughs> all the here, right? But stuff, right? It, just kids all can that go stuff. out and they can, yeah, yeah. All, the, <laughs> yeah, all the woo stuff. The kids can go out, they can find this stuff and they can start doing things yeah. with it without really terrible advice on TikTok, right? Yeah. So yeah. what do we do? Is it, are we at a point now where, you know, people who are coming into the remote viewing discord where you're a moderator, they usually come there for some weird reasons. Are we, are we at a point where these secrets we need to be sharing more or being or in some way trying to engage that content or, you know, is there, is there an approach that's better than where we are at the moment? Uh, that's a really tricky question because I mean, in, in, in the past, in the distant, more distant past, it was just a secret, right? That the monks in the monastery had it or the secret societies had it or the, the odd spiritual teacher living alone and only having one student and keeping very quiet about it, had it, and it was super on the down low. And then like, whatever, a couple of hundred years ago, it all starts coming out more and more and more and more through from like Blavatsky through to uh, like Israel Regardi spilling all the beans. And I think the cat can't be put back in the bag, but in terms of preventing I don't know, disinformation. I mean, is any of it really information? How on earth can we prevent harm, right? Because this is just the problem of censorship and hoping you've got a benign dictatorship. And that, who am I to say, here's my model and mine is the right one and their model is wrong. And you, they're not allowed to tell you their ideas about this because this territory is subjective. And who's to say you can't use bad models and who to, who's to say you shouldn't as well? Because you know, very often you need to make your own mistakes and you need to actually experience things rather than being told, oh no, don't do that. You No, do do that. And it's going to go terribly wrong and you will learn and grow and develop as a person so much quicker as a result of screwing that up. I did. I've had quite serious magical cock-ups um, and they're much more effective lessons than reading something in a book where some dead guy's like, blah, 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 don't do this, bad things will happen. And you're like, yeah, I don't believe you. And then you do it. And it's like, oh my God, shit, bad things did happen. Um, you know, now now I can be the old guy and all I need to do now is die after writing a book. And I can be that, blah, 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 don't do this, bad things. And, you know, so the cycle <laughs> will repeat. The next generation comes along and does it anyway. And it is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there is whole ton of crazy shit out there but i think at some point if you're if you've gone down a rabbit hole of a really weird model that isn't helpful isn't useful at some point surely you're going to notice that you're not getting results that it doesn't work it's not useful and go maybe i'll just go look at something else or give up on this whole thing and come back to it in a few years um i suppose sometimes things can be really harmful which is yeah maybe a different matter but is that so for one exclusive I, I, oh, sorry yeah you go ahead no i was just gonna say like your 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 answer resonates with me a great deal because i felt like in some extent when coming at remote viewing and you think you know what remote viewing is and you start doing these different things with it and my experience was it wasn't particularly there was some harm that occurred to me <laughs> you know yeah. uh, you get excited and you start doing things and you don't really know what you're doing um but 
to some extent, that excitement and that perspective that you don't know where the walls are, you don't know where the limits are. It feels like a very powerful time period when you're in that, that perspective. And um, it wasn't until having, making some of those mistakes. So kind of go back to say, okay, well, what are the traditions or the lineage or what, you know, what were the thoughts that surrounded some of these things, as opposed to just, here's this cool thing I can do. But, you know, to me, like, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what your thoughts are as well, because I don't even know, we have to be careful even talking about this, right? Um, but <laughs> people, you know, sometimes who are outside of remote viewing or side, they're like, well, you know, can you do X? And the truth is, like, privacy is is an ethical, like you mentioned it in your, you were talking about connecting with people in cars to get some impression from them and getting a sense like, oh, I shouldn't do that. But privacy really yeah, is I mean, like I wasn't getting information that you wouldn't get from like looking through the window. I wasn't in a prime. <laughs> I was just trying to get like age, but, sex, mood. Are they but, you yelling know, at their passenger or listening to the music or something? You know. So, but yeah, yeah. right. I'm not claiming you were doing anything super weird like with that, <laughs> but I think uh, you and I both know like you can merge with all kinds of you can merge with people right at, at certain time periods, and in some cases you can get very accurate information about. Uh, things that may have been mental states that they're in, the emotional state that they're in. There's a lot of very good utilization of that and really great ways to use that to help people. Um, but, you know, I think that it feels like that that kind of recognition of what some of that potential is, is very disruptive. You know, if a, a lot of people were in full recognition of it, how do we oh, even yeah, adjust yeah. that world? And I think somebody, it was Us. in one of our chats, was talking about when the lawyers get involved and they figure out what's going on with remote viewing, we're really in trouble then. But um, <laughs> you, you have any yeah. thoughts? Like, where do we, how do we negotiate that 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 conversation? Um, yeah, I think that's the kind of progress that happens one funeral at a time, is that you can't <laughs> you can't take people who are. Well, I mean, going back to what I was talking about at the beginning, you know, where, what that did to me as somebody who was actively seeking this out, like it's not for us to force this on people. It's not ethical. I don't think to, you know, cause I think everybody has a phase early on in the, the kind of spiritual journey, whichever route you're taking where you're like, wow, this is amazing. I got to tell everybody about this and wake everybody up and the world be better. And like you quickly learn that, no, that's dumb. It's not your job. Stop it. You know, it's not ethical. It doesn't work. It's harmful. People think you're crazy. Just shut up. Um, that's one of the reasons that the mystery schools have vows of silence. There are plenty of other reasons, but that's a very good one is just like, don't, don't go talking about this stuff to people who aren't looking for it. Um, and it's a question that comes up often too. I want to use the blockchain to prove it's real. I want to use notarize this and use the stock market to make a big pile of money, which I think is kind of like the best idea. I still kind of suspect people are going to ignore it though. And go, oh, it's just a fluke. Ah, oh, he's just a good investor. Ah, uh, it's a scam. It's probably a wrapper behind it, and it'll all turn out to be an elaborate marketing hoax. You know, like I think people still find a way to deny it or run away from it or hide from it or just la la la, I'm not listening. Because that's what I remember I how I reacted to all this stuff. And it doesn't matter how good the evidence is. Like, it's not our job and we can't do it and we shouldn't try, I think. We've just got to let things take their course, which is boring and unexciting, but I think that's the only way forward, really. And support people who do come looking for it, you know, because those are the people who you should talk to about it. It's people who want to know about it, not people who don't. So not an easy question to grapple with. Maybe not even one you want to try to try to begin to answer, but 
some of us who get involved in this and certainly maybe it's the same thing like you mentioned we get involved in traditions that suggest this and you start to have experiences that correlate with it but do you perceive when we talk about whatever we want to say uh, a, a divine intelligence god uh, cosmic consciousness who knows right but do you think to some extent that there is an overarching intelligence that may in some ways be guiding people to come into this connectivity with remote viewing or different forms of spirituality? Um, or do you think that this is just happenstance that like for me, I got, I did remote viewing tournament. Yeah. I wish I, yeah, I did that. And I was done like that. Just finding that mobile app, uh, caused all kinds of consternation for me. Uh, it's hard to see that that yeah. was like this big pivotal moment for me, but it actually was. So do you have thoughts on that? Do you think that there's, there's something else there that kind of is a thread that runs between some of these, yeah. these things we can do? Yes, but I don't know what I could possibly say about it. Like to say there's an overarching intelligence, what's it arching over? Like, are we under it or are we in it? <laughs> are we like the little universe playing dress up? <laughs> don't make fun um, of me. I have, to use, I have to use words, David. I have yeah, to use yeah. words. <laughs> um, no, no, but like we, it's a really hard thing to talk about. Um, isn't it because it's it's ineffable it's ineffable um kind of by definition so yeah what is god fair enough i think i might pass on that one if it's all the same it's a bit of a tricky one um maybe some philosophers will crack it one day i bet they won't but yes i mean is there a guiding principle effectively yes i think like this is easier to think about if you throw away the idea of linear time, which is maybe a big ask, right? But if we stop thinking about time as an arrow that goes forward where like one billiard ball hits another and there's like a, a chain of cause and effect that only goes in one direction, what if you can have a cause that is outside of the arrow of time and impacted in multiple places, right? So there's one, one intent, one prime mover for anything to happen and instead of that being a billiard ball hitting another one it's like billiard balls at different intervals throughout time all going different directions and the sum total effect is this and that's kind of how i feel like synchronicity works um and how divination that's based on random stuff like shuffling tarot works uh, because, you know, like my tarot deck is going to give me an answer based on the state of the cards last time I put the deck away, plus another shuffle, right? So there's this whole litany of things that have gone into creating the state of the deck when I next pull from it, and it's still going to work. And I think you kind of got to not stress out about that and not think about a an intelligence that's there, like, holding your hand, and then we do this, and then we do that. And then we, it's more like kind of downhill mountain biking in the fog. But there is a trail. But like, are you guided by an intelligence? You know, no, just kind of like intuition, terror and gravity. I and mean, you've just kind of got to, if, if you surrender to it and do it and just kind of get out of its way, get out of your own way. If you make space for that in your life, it will turn up and it will help. And I don't know what it is. And I hesitate to put any labels on it. Some people would call that spirit guides or angels or higher self or holy guardian angel or God or like divine intelligence or inspiration or the Holy Spirit or like a million different things. Um, 
not to mention all the other deities and spirits that it could be or you could ascribe to it. I, I don't know what it is. I don't want to stick labels on it. There's something there, yeah. Like, it's all kind of going somewhere, but it's like a river flowing down to the sea, right? Um, if you're part of the river, you're going to the sea regardless of what happens on the way, and you can either be a dick about it or just chill out, I think. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a terrible analogy, but I like to get at least one terrible analogy into. Um, oh, I love that, that into every. Um, you go, <laughs> I had that in a viewing session once. That I, I, I described something. At, I won't. I won't name the um, target. I won't say what it was, but it was like it was about a a group that was kind of trying to win people over to a certain way of looking at things. Um, I was describing kind of what they were doing and how they were getting people on their side. And I said, this is like a, a boat race in the river where everybody's racing downstream, right? You're all going to get to the sea and like, you can row really, really hard, but the river's still literally carrying you along. Like you don't need, you don't need to really do anything, go a bit slower. But like, if you swim upstream, you're still going towards the sea. And it's just now you're really tired, right? It's so. Yeah, there's a there's a stream, there's a, a groove that can be found, but I'm I absolutely am not going to put a name to it. I could, and, and it's not like I have one, and I'm not telling you. Like I don't believe anything about it. I just observe its effect in my life, and I don't understand it because I'm a like monkey that learned to drive cars and eat pizzas. And I don't know what the hell's going on. There's a, so there's a lot of deep spiritual traditions, of course, where applying the name. Once you apply the name, you're no longer dealing with the thing itself, right? The, so the uh, I, I admire your <laughs> I admire Is your that, approach there. What's yeah, the, so what in, do you uh, mean in, about in, um, in Taoism, the 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 Tao that can be oh, named yeah. is not the eternal Tao, right? Once you mm -hmm. once you uh, yeah, apply yeah. a label to it, you're no longer you're you're doing something mental, right? But you're no longer yeah. dealing with so. Yeah, um, I did you notice a little bit of Taoism right. leaking into my rambling there. But... <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit i noticed i love too like the, the idea like uh in a lot of spiritual traditions you, you're talking about you know the rivers going to the ocean but just coming to some fundamental position of peace right instead of instead of struggling like the, as many people do that that uh, there's some some kind of thing that you're enmeshed in that just does its thing that you're part of you know just like a cell in a body doesn't probably yeah, worry yeah. about being a cell so um i really yeah, love that I mean, man. it's all um, about perspective isn't it I think I think the Buddha had some good things to say on that topic, which I won't repeat so that we don't offend your viewers. But they could go and um, look that up. So I can't have I can't I can't get on a call with you and not ask you this because you've run a lot of interesting <laughs> targets, all right. And I know I, I think I know some some of your answers may be to this. What, but... what is this going to be? <laughs> all right. So I mean, <laughs> man, you see this one coming a mile away, but. We're in this, we're in the upside down right now. Like if you look at the defense authorization bill and the, the budget and, you know, now you've got uh, this in the U.S. at least now we have organizations that are investigating these longstanding and you've used remote viewing. You know, I know you've had like many remote viewers, you've had tasks that have come up related to this. But if you look at some of at least the lore or the stories around this, you know, the, the stories are that the if there are beings, intelligent agents who are uh, being encountered in some of these things that what we call psi seems to be something that they are, you can utilize, you know, like telepathy or um, do you think that, you know, I guess we talked about thought forms versus, you know, are, do you believe that 
uh, from some of the information that you may have received from remote viewing? Is it sufficient to come to some viewpoint that, um, you know, again, words are a challenge to us, but they're, they're these non-human intelligences here that are uh, potentially I, uh, have their own agenda? And, or do you feel like we're kind of, we have to be very cautious with any of that data uh, where, where uh, we might be going? Yeah. I mean, yes. Here we go. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, obviously don't have an answer to that. Um, it seems like there's non-human intelligence, but whether it flies around in spaceships, I'm less sure. People have experiences, credible people have experiences which are similar, but they're also different and they also change with the culture that people are in. So at the very least, there's some lensing effect of that, that the individual's perception, which is coloring their experience of the phenomenon, whatever it is. Um, I think one thing we can say with reasonable certainty at this point is that the, the phenomenon resists being studied. Um, I think if you come up with a theory which explains all this stuff and is good and is testable, and you somehow find a way to like, yeah, the UFO is going to turn up right then. It, that's the one day it won't turn up right then. You know, like if you if you start to understand it, it will stop playing ball. It's a it's a really tricky, mysterious, weird thing. Assuming, of course, that it is one thing. It may be many things that kind of look like one really weird thing. And like, how would we even know? Because it's it's very subjective for everybody who experiences it. And then there's like this whole industry of people who do nothing but speculate about it and make stuff up. So it's impossible to, you know, reason about it. Even half the UFO experiences or abduction experiences, you think, actually, I would have to exclude you from my study if I was, <laughs> if I was going to try to quantify what this is like. And, you know, I think it's, it's great that people investigate this and talk to these people and share their experiences because they're really profound, meaningful experiences for people and they change people's lives and turn people's lives upside down. Um, you know, people who've had contact with the phenomena often end up with like psi abilities or weird things happening with their bodies and like real odd stuff happens in their lives that sometimes really cool and sometimes really profound or sometimes terrifying and it's either really great or really, you know, it that is non-human intelligence having an effect is it is it definitely non-human yeah probably but we can't even rule that out it's it it's a phenomenon i don't know what it is it exists evidently um it doesn't want you to know what it is but what it does do is it wake, wakes people up and it disrupts people and it changes things so why does it do that i don't know but an awful lot of the slightly new agey sounding peace and love stuff comes through. And then at the same time, a whole load of like prison planets, aliens editing your DNA so you can mine gold out of the ground and then they'll liquefy you and drink your organs by going in a big bathtub full of melted humans. And, you know, like the things get kind of quite extreme both ways as to what people experience. Um, so as to how different those experiences are from the kind of thing that an occultist might do on purpose. I don't know because like very strange things can happen. 
maybe the fact that people think it's aliens and expect it to be aliens and cram that lens over it is actually maybe the phenomenon doesn't exist. That was it's happening, but maybe the phenomenon is actually a subjective lens that we as people as part of the society are putting onto normal woo-woo stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly it seems to be real, right? People see things which look fucking real and real stuff happens to them. And, but then, you know, find me a UFO, find me a piece of physical evidence that, you know, and, you know, maybe it's all in the Smithsonian and the government stole it and they built buildings over it and the Vatican has it and the Italians have it and everybody has it and it never leaks and nobody ever goes, hey, this is really important for humanity. I'm going to leak this. It's worth sacrificing my life for. Maybe, maybe that's happening and it's just a really great cover-up. But I don't know. I feel like probably the majority of interactions between humans and the phenomenon are at the very least kind of paraphysical they may be entirely psychic or something weird maybe going on like when i've remote viewed stuff like this sometimes the data and, and i don't like it to be the aliens came with their ray guns and sometimes that's what you get and it's just like well shit maybe who am i to say not like that's what people said happened that's what they all experienced and that's what the remote viewing data says so shit who am i to sit here and say you're wrong that didn't happen like in what sense did it not happen like who's they all say it happens. They experienced it. <laughs> I wasn't there. So, um, yeah, fuck knows. I've never had a personal experience of it. I've seen plenty of spirits that look like a grey alien, but they're not aliens. They're just things trying to jump scare you because you watched movies with scary aliens in when you're a kid, and now your subconscious thinks scary. You know, I saw one once that had vampire fangs. It was like somebody just went to the costume department and got all the scary things and tried to make a mashup of them, and it just looked ridiculous. You know, it's the crap that's floating around out there in the collective unconscious, a lot of it looks like grey aliens, like uh, Crowley's buddy, Lamb, you know, with his big head and his oh, little yeah. bow tie. Um, and, you know, in, in, Lamb even says, you know, in the future they won't call me a demon, they'll call me something else, you know, and everybody goes, and everybody looks back and goes, ah, they'll call them aliens. And yeah, so I wonder whether all this alien UFO stuff is actually confusing the shit out of an already very difficult subject and making it even more difficult to make sense of. But um, I keep wishing I'd see something cool like that. You know, I go out in the woods at night with no no flashlight, no phone, nothing, no shoes, and just like there. You come on, show me some cool stuff. No, but there's no <laughs> witnesses. There's no recording devices. There's no electronics. I haven't even got fucking shoes on come and do something cool for and you know it won't it won't do it it won't do it if you uh if you go out behaving like that no please i'll do ce5 which <laughs> yeah i have to wonder like to your to your point for folks who are aware of it and many are not but like the history of the encounters with like the they do change through time right so like mm. airships in the 1800s you talk to the entities and they're from venus or mars yeah, you know, you and they draw them with uh, like big glass fish bowls over their heads and like little jumpsuits on. <laughs> they look like deep sea divers. <laughs> Is it suggestive more like because that's happening that there there's some kind of intersection point between the conscious observer and whatever this thing is? And yeah, you know, I was I was down on 
trying to do some scuba diving training to, to get into that. And I'm down there with these little fish and I'm in my apparatus down there and like, you know, how are the fish even perceiving this? And then when I leave, what do they think about it? And mm. I don't know, it, it, it struck me like is you know, some of that things that we're encountering, you know, suggestive, like you, like you mentioned, like, do we just have a fundamentally wrong model of reality altogether? Mm. And then maybe that's what it's pointing to. So I don't know. That's fascinating. But, um, yeah, I, I if had you, like if a, you, I if you get out there and you do, <laughs> yeah, if you do see something, you got to let us know if you get oh, out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I will. Or I won't, if it's really crazy. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I wonder if the fish see you as like a really weird sort of fish. <laughs> it's an interesting thought. Like we see aliens as like people from space. Oh, that's a really weird sort of people. And it's like, it's not even a people, some kind of weird <laughs> thing. And we project just like you're not a fish, you know, we're, we're projecting that it's people with arms and legs. And you know, that's just how we're going to see it because this occurred to me, I don't know what you think of it, but like we see this in a remote viewing session. So data is presented up to us from our subconscious mind to the conscious, and then the conscious has to do something with it. And so, you know, a lot of times for me, it feels like this translation. I have a database of songs or concepts or things that I have in my life. Stuff's coming up, but it doesn't necessarily mean it may be translating as best it can. See, I'm wondering, like with some of these encounters, when, when they say, well, the being said they're from Venus or they look this way. It almost, to me, it it almost kind of has a feeling like a remote viewing session where yeah. your conscious mind is trying to attach something to it to to deal with it. You know, yeah. almost as if the information wasn't coming from a conscious perception, but from a subconscious perception, like remote viewing, which is is interesting. I don't know how that could work, but um, there's this idea of like the universal language, like the psychic language, which we were talking about tarot cards earlier. Like the tarot cards kind of represent symbols in that language. I don't know if that's true, but um, but there's a language of kind of feeling and symbol and not feeling as an emotion, like emotion as well, emotion, feeling, symbol, metaphor, kind of stuff, nonverbal spiritual language. You know, when people have near death experiences and they're like, oh, you were talking telepathically and I just knew everything, but we weren't using words. It's really weird. I can't describe it, you know, like that. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think we're translating. I think remote viewing data comes in in that language, even if it's images sounds i think it all comes in that form and i guess people's experience of anomalous phenomena that are unexpected probably very often also coming in that form um, an analogy that isn't as bad as the last one that i like is like a piano keyboard where you know you can play chords on it you can play a scary chord or a triumphant chord right so that's you're the piano keyboard you the person having this experience and then the phenomenon comes along and it plays different chords and it plays one that says I'm from space. Right. And then you have to react to that and goes, all right, what does a spaceman look like? He's got a little fishbowl and he's comes from Venus because that's where they come from. And, you know, you know, but, but really it just says spaceman. And then you filled in all the blanks, right. Or, or it says yep. uh, Bigfoot or, or it says, well, you know what? I don't know. Scary monster. And you're like, okay, alien vampire fangs, big ax. You know, wait, no, that's not scary. Try something else. You know, you can you can bump into things out in kind of psychic space, um, which will just try and be scary. And they're just playing scary chord on the keyboard. You know, and if you react to that and get sucked into it, they'll they'll really mess your head up. It's, but they're they're kind of they're not really a big deal. They're not really even beings. A lot of them, it's just kind of like the the knots of string floating along. But they'll just kind of reflect scary things 
out of you. This is how the phenomena appears to work. You know, maybe it's an entirely internal thing and nothing woo-woo is going on. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Um, but the other, in those, those will reflect your own. It's like the, uh, what's the monster in the Harry Potter movies that turns into whatever you're afraid of? They they actually behave very much like that. Um, and if you, if you catch one, and anybody studying remote viewing who's watching this, RV training will open up your awareness so eventually you'll be able to see this stuff and it doesn't happen to everybody but occasionally you will just get jump scared by something that looks really frightening and it's probably one of these if uh, if it is if it's a static image that's gray monochrome comes right up in your face making eye contact very suddenly that's like absolutely textbook of this phenomenon that I'm describing now those things, if you grab a hold of don't be scared of them. They can't really hurt you unless you freak out. If you kind of grab a hold of it and say, I know that's not what you really look like. Show me your true form. They will actually change into something else. And you can just keep doing that. And eventually they'll just kind of run out of costumes to put on and be like, he's not buying it, is he? He's not going to fall for this. Um, now, assume positive shapes that are misleading as well that i mean the whole psychic realm is full of kind of reflection and deception and distortion is is really like a hall of mirrors for us to walk through um yeah it's a very strange and interesting place to explore and i'm i'm certainly not done exploring it yet <laughs> on my own behalf like i didn't get into things and you're like all the information that I'm receiving is, is generated by some factual database, like in the matrix and you go and um, you know, that what you just mentioned is a very important lesson. I think for a lot of folks when, when you uh, okay. get into practicing psychic functioning and uh, there's a, there's a lot of things in there that you may receive that, that have no real, you know, uh, if it's, if it's a bit like a telephone, you know, who can, who can, <laughs> who can call you up and, and, and who's talking on the other end of the line. So, um, I wanted to ask you, so you, you've been in this for a while. I don't know if you felt like you had a choice. So you, uh, you know, you <laughs> got into remote viewing, you, you, uh, and once you see this, you know, it's funny to me because it does feel like to me, sometimes you see it, you can't leave it alone. You know, you try those 50 sessions, uh, to try to dispel it and get it out of your life maybe, but it, it, it wouldn't be dispelled, you know, it's, it's, uh, and there's this transformative process. I think you would agree with that. Once you start to see these things, your ideas and conceptions of space and time, and you know, it puts you in a very different position. So for folks who are coming across this or have had some experiences, do you really, do you recommend like, um, for them to train Is remote viewing a good methodology for them to start with? And I mean, know, I what, found what do you advise people who as part of my spiritual path at the beginning, because it, it continuously reminded me there's something really significant here. Cause I could just go prove to myself that anomalous information transfer is real. And therefore there's either locality or reality or what, you know, what, what was that Nobel prize? They just won for proving the universe is non-local or not real and you can't have it both ways. Um, but remote viewing kind of does the same thing. So if you're out there seeking the ineffable and the spiritual and stuff, for me, there was a voice in my head going, this is dumb. This is stupid. You know, that's not real. Why are you doing this? You should be making money and hustling. Um, and to be able to just sit down to a remote viewing session and be like, look, my awareness transcends time and space. Screw you voice in my head. That was helpful at the start. Um, having the blinding and feedback so you know nothing about your target until you get feedback is great because it stops you deluding yourself um 
And if you, you know, you can open yourself up too much and you can listen without enough discernment and you can end up consuming stuff that isn't healthy from out there, wherever there is. Um, so I guess getting in the habit of blinding and feedback like that, it, it makes you critical. It just sort of trains you to be thinking, ah, but where was my bias? Well, I wasn't blind. Because when you do unblind stuff, you're always conscious of that. Having trained as a remote viewer and trained blind, you're always like, I wasn't blind. I'm biased. You know, I'm, this is where my blind spots are and where, you know, like you're, it trains you to think of yourself as part of the equation, which, you know, we've just been talking about, I think is super important, but as to its use spiritually, yeah, I think you can come to know yourself. I think it's a process of self-knowledge. Um, I think John Vivanco put it really well and said, like, uh, remote viewing is a path of self-discovery and data collection is just like a random side effect that happens along the way, um, which <laughs> I, quite, I quite like. Um, and he may be right there. But yeah, I mean, it's good. It's not my only practice. I think everybody should have a meditation practice. That's the only thing I'm actually going to recommend. I wouldn't recommend any old person take up remote viewing because also like some people go crazy like this is not safe and it's not for everybody and you know it's not a solution it's it's a crazy journey and it's amazing and it can give you a lot but it can also send you nuts um and it's very time consuming and difficult and yeah very complicated and completely not understood by even any of the people who are experts at doing it still don't know how it works like this is not a thing to just do if you can do something meditate every day for like even five minutes that's what everybody should do i think maybe 10 minutes work up to 10 minutes that's what you should do that was like i'm not recommending any kind of spiritual or magical practice for people other than just sit there with yourself quietly every day um because i think everybody should do that and can do that even that's not safe though i mean <laughs> Yeah, meditation can mess you up. Probably worse than remote viewing if you. Uh, I've, I've, if you I've do met too people much. where some, something is mundane or what they perceived as mundane meditation ended up being life altering. Uh, so that's yeah. Were, were they doing saying. like energy work stuff or? No, they had just gone to a long uh, meditation session and they they came out of wow. their body like a retreat. Uh, yeah, uh, with mm. a started having like partial out of body experiences and uh, I've never had that um whole other set of discussions we could talk a long time about that but uh yeah um so David I, I know um you are engaged in again one of the, the largest communities out there with remote viewing um yeah how do people how do people find that community and and how how do they um engage and connect with it um most people seem to land on the subreddit having been I guess, searching for it. We don't survey people and say, how did you hear about remote viewing? And people always seem to be pretty vague about it as well. Um, like, like I said, for me, it was a Russell Targ video on YouTube that I couldn't even, I almost didn't watch. And I didn't watch for the first few times it recommended me, you know? Uh, so I can't really answer on how people first hear about it. A lot of people seem to have read about it 10 years ago and never gave it any more thought and now are coming back to it. That's a real common thing that they just read it in a book or heard it on a news report a long time ago and have kind of been aware in the background and it's not been the time and then something drives them to go and give it a go and go and investigate it more. So 
Um, I think more important than where they find out about it is what kind of stuff they bump into because it's very hard to find good information on Google now. The search results are not what they used to be, right? Um, and I've had conversations with a few people who've seen some really wacky stuff with the label remote viewing put on it and then they've kind of very nearly given up on the field and i've literally had like a whole conversation where it's just like no 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 no, no. that's not remote viewing look this four point protocol that's remote viewing all this other stuff i don't know what that is but you know they didn't come up with that term they don't get to use it <laughs> um because people want to co-opt the term remote viewing to mean whatever they want don't they and it's like no that was invented in the context of the I don't know if it, they came up with an SRI or later, probably SRI, right? Um, but it was come up with as part of that project to describe what they were doing. It's not just an arbitrary thing. People weren't saying, oh, I was remote viewing yesterday before then. And now they are, you know, the, 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 the term has kind of got diluted. Um, there's, there's some mad, bad and dangerous stuff that goes on under the misnomer of remote viewing. And I think when people are bumped into that stuff, it's, it's kind of disruptive for them and for us because then people bring all these wild ideas there and like, oh, guys, what about this and that and the other? Um, you know, not naming any this, that or other in particular. But uh, <laughs> it's it's very hard to... Because we don't want to be gatekeepers or custom... We're not really keepers of anything. Like, the only rule we have is, like, remote viewing is the four-point protocol. We don't care if you do tarot cards or chicken entrails. Like, at this point, the hill we're going to die on is blinding and deliberate target. And, you know, record your perceptions and get feedback. But do something on purpose and be blind. Don't have a kind of half-lucid dream OBE experience where you get something that's verifiable. Um, and it's it was genuine sigh. But it was just like a random thing that happened, often for no discernible reason, right? Not remote viewing. Cool, legit, but not remote viewing. You know, or people who are not blind and just, I want to know about this. And then they go there in their mind and again, they get vertical information. They did do Psy. It is a really cool thing to be able to do, but it's not remote viewing. You know, and we talk about all this other stuff that we do because it's fun and it's cool and we all like to do it, or a lot of us do. And, you know, in many ways, it's more useful than remote viewing because you don't need all the rigmarole of having blind taskers whatever you, know, you just find yourself at parking spot but uh, yeah that's the only the line we draw with all i think it's the only line we can draw because we're agnostic about methodology um crv wars are you familiar with the crv wars you know that there's huge ideological mm. arguments about oh your your school is drawing ideograms wrong and your school is misrepresenting Ingo the really? great holy one and you know like people bickering over ownership of history basically um, and the Discord has a rule specifically against exactly that like we are totally agnostic because we want people from all different schools and methodologies and backgrounds to just come together and share stuff and support each other to learn and support each other through the kind of weird stuff that happens when you're a remote viewer and you end up getting like really traumatized by a target. It's really great to have people there who know what that's like and know what you're good. Cause you can't go and talk to like a normal person about that and be like, well, I was, you know, psychically perceiving something, but I didn't know what it was, but then I felt the emotions from it. And now I'm traumatized. 
and, and they're like, okay, you're okay. you know, you can't get, you can't see eye to eye with somebody who isn't from this, you know, world who hasn't done this. So actually providing kind of emotional support is a really important role of, uh, of that community and I just, as well. I just want to say and mention on this part, and I don't want to, you know, I know again, you, you tend to kind of deflect these things away from yourself, but when I was first getting into remote viewing and trying to figure things out, um, you know, I had, had some things going on that weren't quite easy for me. You talked about what happened with you and, and you were very willing. You didn't know me at all. Like you jumped on a voice call with me. We had a wonderful conversation. You gave me resources and that spirit that you had, your, uh, spirit that you brought forward of, of that listening, the, um, being able to help and give instruction. And I see that across that, that group. I see it in that discord group very often. I think it comes from, a lot of the moderators, a lot of people who spend a lot of time to make that community um, one that is very inclusive and also just very helpful. There's a spirit of uh, also seeing like when people are getting into doing their sessions, just the encouragement that's given to folks to continue to train and to get better and um, to be able to utilize this this ability. So I just want to tip my hat. You know, I have the hat that's, on, so maybe, but like. You, uh, that's you, awesome to hear it, you say that. I, I don't, but, haven't just noticed it with me. I've noticed that you all do that quite frequently on that server, and I, it means a lot. So, I, yeah, on, on my behalf, I encourage people, you know, to to find that resource if you have an interest in remote viewing. That well, you, you can you, stick you, the you link have built under like wherever. Is this going on YouTube? You could put the link for it. Yeah, in there. yeah, we definitely can. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing to hear you say that because that's that's the place we want to be. And it's really nice that you've noticed other people, you know, that that becoming the culture that everybody's helpful. And it's not just kind of a couple of people, you know, fighting to their death that it's. Yeah. How could it, how could it possibly devolve? That... Into... <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly. I imagine yeah. like the rest of the remote viewing world. <laughs> so, uh, in addition, meditation, uh, is a core practice, um, for folks. Uh, is there anything else you'd recommend to people who might be interested in getting into remote viewing is just a starting point uh, in terms of resources go, other go on the reddit or the discord and there is a beginner's guide which is like the quickest way to get started i think i mean the, the way i got started was like a five minute interview with russell targ where he gets a a guy to tell him what's in his pocket or his bag or something um but if you want to actually learn any of the terminology or the concepts, that beginner's guide has like has all the jargon or the, all the basic jargon that you need. It has the basic concepts that you need, and it just like walks you through and holds your hand step by step. And it's like this is target number. That's what it does. I.e., nothing. Write it down. Do this. Do that. Just record your perceptions. Now get your feedback, and it walks you through doing like two or three really simple targets just quickly. So it's, it's like the best 101 intro because it's so easy. You know, it's, it's really fast and simple and straightforward, but it's also, you're going to learn something. You're not just kind of going to do a, do some side thing and be like, wow, and then try and do it again. And it doesn't work. And you're like, well, now what? Right. <laughs> you know, it will, you'll at least know what to look for and um, hopefully it'll help people find their feet. So there's just the beginner's guide. It's on the remote viewing Reddit and discord. It's the same guide. The Discord just links to the Reddit wiki. So, <laughs> you know, I've often thought of that. Your point, you know, if uh, you see it works one time, if it hadn't worked the second time, you know, that would have been a totally different route, right? It's the, the second one that gets you in trouble. Oh, um, my, my but... first one was good enough that it was like, there's no way that's chance. 
I can't even remember what the <laughs> second one was. Well, David, I, I really appreciate you sharing some of your time and experiences and also just, uh, again, what you do for the remote viewing community, um, because um, it really uh, there are a lot of different resources out there that you mentioned and we won't get into names, but, you know, um, having a group that uh, of folks who are uh, sober minded and thoughtful and open minded. Um, but also who bring forward, you know, useful ideas about ways to, to improve and to be careful because, um, you know, some of the, the cautionary notes that you've given in this interview, I think are, are really good ones about uh, possible missteps that people can, can take. And um, so I just, I really appreciate all that you and, and your fellow um, uh, group uh, do for, for us with that. And uh, since you won't, you know, disclose to me the name of God, I missed out on that one. <laughs> And you won't That'll tell be me five thousand know, dollars for that one. Yeah, <laughs> this is a running joke. Right? You said you and you won't penetrate the secret of the extraterrestrials uh, or in the, the interdimensionals. Yeah, yeah, I, I know but, all the secrets, definitely. Um, I I sincerely appreciate um, uh, your approach. And I also just want to say too, appreciate all you're doing to innovate in the space because I, I see a lot of things that you do are playful and fun, which gets people in, yeah, but yeah. also like there's a lot trying to figure about. out. Approach, we've yeah. done so much stuff that didn't work but i think there's been so much dogma in the field you know ideas like you can't remote view numbers people have been teaching that for decades and it's not true it's it's well, just observably not true you can i've done it you can do it right so what else isn't true if that's not you know we don't know and because there's no model we don't know what we're doing we don't know how it works really we're just trying stuff and it, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it's fun. You know, we get to have fun along the way and discover new stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you for your kind words. That's, it's cool to hear that from your external perspective, cause I know you're not around a huge amount. You should hang out more, you know, it's nice to hear that from your perspective, you're seeing that great community spirit and people kind of helping each other and innovating and supporting each other. That's, that's what we want. So it's, it's great to hear that. Thank you. And hey, as a last parting note, because um, I know you had an amazing um, podcast series, Cypher. I think um, you wanted to share that um, you oh, all are. Oh, yeah. Is that, uh, there's, there's, there's not going to be any more Cypher like for the foreseeable future, <laughs> because I know uh, we've had so much good feedback and like it was really taken off. But we lost Emily. And she was made an offer. She couldn't refuse doing something else. Um, and without Emily, there's no cipher. So, uh, me and Brett talked about doing a different show. We might do that at some point, but there was no way we could keep doing cipher without her and we just couldn't replace her. Um, so we can't make any more, right? We might one day, you know, never say never. If it comes back, it'll be different. Um, and hopefully it'll be less work for us because like that was the first time any of us had done a project like that. And it was so much work. Like, oh my God, we, we were all like, oh yeah, we'll work like half a day a week. We'll do one day a week on it. It'll be fine. And it was like, it turned into nearly a full-time job. Sometimes it was insane wow. amounts of work. Cause I mean, there was like 10 hours of research and then 10 hours of remote viewing or seven hours of remote viewing and a few hours of analysis. And then like, I don't know, four or five hours each recording and eight, 
12 hours editing you know it just added up so so fast like um it was there there was a lot that went into that because you know it was like a four-hour recording edited down to an hour and a half for two shows on one topic um so there was i've had a lot of feedback that like people like the pace of it that it really just got straight into the meat and kept going and there's no filler and that's because like that was painstakingly edited out by hand every week um because it's possible to have a conversation that good you know i hope this one's come close but um yeah it, it was it was a hell of a thing and i'm really really pleased with how well it came out and proud of what we achieved there but yeah i'm sorry to anybody who's enjoying it that there won't be any more at least anytime soon we did record a finale episode which has kind of got lost on somewhere in the editing process which was like a uh, a retrospective of our first season which was actually a really good episode so maybe that will see the light of day one day um the after hours stuff you can't sign up on the website anymore because we didn't want to take people's money for a subscription and say like taking whatever it is every month and then there's no new stuff right because we felt we'd just be screwing people um then we couldn't get the website changed so that we could do a one-off payment for it either so it's just kind of like down at some point in future if we can find a way of doing it so you can buy the whole like bumper pack at a reasonable price then we'll hopefully be able to get, get that set up because i've had loads of people messaging me and saying like how do i get the after hours stuff i really want to listen to it and you know i'd like to share it but also we don't want to put that stuff out publicly because it's juicy it's very very juicy and wild and crazy um but it's good though <laughs> well i have a i have actually have a link on my channel to the cypher podcast on youtube uh, which then has all oh, the cool. information if folks want to go check that out um because uh, having that project did a lot. You all did a lot of really, um, really cool work and, um, just uh, kind of refreshing to see some of the way that you approached, uh, some of the targets and sessions. So definitely recommend folks to check that out if they want to see a really great, uh, project, uh, group. Uh, and also just, it was a lot of fun, um, listening to the conversations you all had. And, um, yeah, we, we had a ton of fun recording it as well as so, all the hard work. Uh, right. And so if we bribe you, we'll get you to get that last podcast episode. We'll, we'll, maybe, we'll figure out maybe. how to make it. It'll have to be um, a very big bribe. But And then, then David's conversation, remote viewing conversation with with Minor Gods. That's the next the next uh, project that, that we cool to see coming. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for yeah, sharing your, uh, thank your you. thoughts and expertise. Oh, it's and, been good um, fun. Talk- the fact that people think it's aliens and expect it to be aliens and cram that lens over.